we in the time of our lives, baby. <laughs> baby. Turn the music up. Um, Prime time. I third eon, that's what the fuck we on More money, 40-year-old phenom My 15 minutes of fame is stretched beyond Welcome to the All-American Chelsea Podcast I carry the 4-5, that's the 48 law Still wearing my 23s, they can't fuck with the ball We got the main man, the people's champ, Joe Tweedy then 9-11, I only subtract the roof Started in 88, got warm in 92 I landed in 96, that's the year I came through I hit the club, ordered some great goose Switched it for Ciroc to get puffed, stopped the boost New money, I found the fountain of youth I'm headed to Miami to fuck up the fountain blue A case of ace, make it two Nigga, we rollin', beat the deuce The night is young, what the fuck we gon' do? Ooh. Welcome to the All American Chelsea Podcast. And how are you guys doing today? I am so hyped. So hyped right now. Um, I can't even work to not describe uh, how I'm feeling right now. I got the man Joe Tweedy on the podcast. He's coming up a little bit later. Um, personally, that I can't, I can't thank him enough for coming on the podcast so early into my podcasting career. And he's coming on to kick so much knowledge, so much information. Uh, truth be told, I, I could have had him on for eight hours i could have had an eight hour conversation with him uh just to pick his brain on the various aspects on footballing in general uh, man the dude has scouting badges the dude has and you know he's pursuing his uh coaching badges or has some coaching badges his connections within football in general he's got a, a wealth of knowledge there that I would have loved to just sit down with them and just keep, you know, digging and mining and, and, and getting that information out of them because I, I, I want to know. I want to find out. Um, to, to, I want to find out, like, the various aspects of football, like, to keep deep, diving in and, 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 and just getting more knowledge. For me, that, that just improves the game uh, for me. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure that that uh, you guys are gonna find this podcast super super informative, and I wanted to touch on what this podcast is, this episode of the podcast is, and what it isn't. So, what I wanted to have from Joe and get from, why I wanted to have Joe on, um, and get from Joe is not necessarily I didn't want to go through. Uh, transfer rumors. I didn't want to go through who does he think that we're going to get in, who's leaving. I didn't want to do that too much because I feel like if you guys are like me um, and if I'm like you, 
all you do, like I do all day, is just scroll Twitter, all the all the sites, Bleacher Report, ESPN, uh, whatever uh, different sites that you guys use to get your information. That's all you do all day. So I didn't want to necessarily just have another episode of of Chelsea football information where it's just constant football, uh, you know, transfer rumors for us. I didn't necessarily want that. Uh, uh, Joe is much more than that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, shit. There goes my phone. Amateur hour over here. Amateur hour. So, you know, Joe is much more... He has more information than that. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to kind of get from him seeing how we had just played a game on Monday. I want to get from him what does he see through his eyes. You know, give me some tactical analysis. Tell me about that. Tell me what can I expect. How do you, you know, break down the game from your perspective? Because I can... can, I can always read that we're going to get, you know, Leon Bailey, Rogani, um, uh, you know, Gullivan, all the names. How would they fit into the system? Um, same thing with Eden Hazard. It's simple. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm not breaking any news. Eden Hazard, Eden Hazard is either staying with us or he's going to Real Madrid. Um, Joe had just gone on to the London is Blue podcast and he broke it down he broke it down on their podcast beautifully on the Eden Hazard situation so i didn't want to kind of regurgitate that information because it's already out there i wanted to get from joe the things that may not be out there the you know more details on what's going on on how Jorginho is going to play in our system that type of thing you're going to hear it throughout the podcast what the questioning the line of questions that i take i mean that may not if it isn't apparent and I and I bring it up within the podcast to him, um, that's kind of where I'm going. Then I'm just letting you know before you listen to it. If you have questions like, "Hey, I wanted to find out about this player and that player and this," this episode is not that. This episode is not that. Um, even though I do bring up uh, Leon Bailey, I do bring up Gullivan, I do bring up Regani. I, I didn't want it to be a hundred percent. The entire time, just transfer rumors, hitting you guys over the head with transfer rumors, transfer rumors, transfer rumors. Because at the end of the day, until the player is holding up the the, the jersey, we don't. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, I had gone on a little bit of uh, not a rant, but something I needed to get off my chest. I think it was, and I I, I don't want to be this guy, but I I was watching a YouTube video, and I went on a little bit. Like I had to get it off my chest because I saw I keep seeing negative comments about, uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. It was on one of Nini's videos. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know nothing. You know nothing. And it's like, hold on a second. Negotiations happen in real time. At any moment in time, things can change. So, I could report be reporting exactly word for word what is happening during a negotiation the moment both parties step away from the table things can change you know as the negotiation going on somebody can get an idea in their head and from that moment forward all the information that i've been that that, that has been given could change so 
I, I didn't want to get too much into that. Um, and I, I apologize if that's what you wanted to hear. If that's what you're expecting for two hours, uh, you're not, you might be slightly um, underwhelmed. What I wanted to do and what I did get into is what did Joe see in the game? Based off of you know his background, based off of his the knowledge that he has, what did he see in the game? Um, it didn't matter the score, even though the score was one zero. So that's where this podcast is at. Uh, what else do I got for you? What else do I got for you? Do, 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 do. Did anybody see the uh, like the video that Tyler, the creator, and ASAP Rocky put out for their announcing the album that they're gonna do together? That song is pretty dope. I, I'm going to tell you something. Tyler, the creator, is somebody I've been, I've known about. I've known about his music. I remember the first time I saw him, he performed for something for MTV a few years back with uh, when he brought Odd Future out. And I think, I'm pretty sure he performed Goblin. And so I've known about Tyler, the creator, for a while now. However, like, I haven't really got into any of his music outside of Goblin. I just started... Uh, breaking down, not breaking down, but I just listened to Flower Boy. I think is his this last album that he put out, and the dude, man, like Tyler's music is really fucking good. It's really good. I encourage you guys to like, if you're not giving that man a shot, like like a listen. If you're not giving, if you're a hip hop fan and you're not listening to Tyler Creator, goddamn. And this combination with ASAP Rocky. It, it, the album should be uh, I'm excited like I'm looking forward to it. the album should be great what else is going on what else is going on do, 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 do. Chelsea uh, finally I mean but we I saw the leaks about the yellow jersey kit um, I'm not a big fan of yellow per se like the color yellow but man I have like a little bit of a not like a theory that anytime we wear yellow, um, we win the championship. So I'm really hyped about this yellow kit. I will be getting one. Um, and my only like sample size is the yellow kit that we wore during the 14 and 15 season. I purely got the yellow that yellow kit uh, because Diego Costa had scored a hat trick against Everton. Like. After I saw that, I'm like, definitely going to get that. And they wore yellow that day. So I'm like, yep, got to get it. So I'm hoping this yellow kit brings us good luck like the last one did. Do, uh, do, 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 do. It's pretty fire. It's pretty fire. I need to get that Nike hat. Uh, the dry fit one. So dope. The dad hat. I already have a dad hat. Um, Chelsea dad hat. But I need to get that Nike, that Nike dry fit one. It's kind of dope. It's kind of dope. All right, all right. I'm rambling. I'm rambling. I'm rambling. Um, here's the podcast. This is what you guys wanted to hear. Here's the man Joe Tweedy, uh, the People's Champ. All right, everybody. I got the homie, the People's Champ, Joe Tweedy on. Yeah, Tweedy, Tweedy. Yo, the crowd's going crazy for you, man, bro. Like you have to have your hands up in the air. There's like pyrotechnics <laughs> going off, like. I don't think I've ever been introduced like The Rock before, so that's, uh, I think yeah. that's probably yeah. going on my CV for the future. <laughs> Bro, you're, 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 it's a stadium. The stadium's packed just for you, my friend. So how are you, Joe? <laughs> yeah, really well. Yeah, really, really well. It's uh, beautiful weather here in Copenhagen. It has been for about the past two months. So yeah, the, the mood is great. And uh, yeah, looking forward to having a good chat today. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. So um, for everybody that doesn't know, we have uh, Joe. I, I can't imagine that you don't know who Joe Tweedy is, but Joe Tweedy is literally the people's champion. He is our uh, – I don't, I don't even, Joe, like, how do you describe who you are? Like, and that's, I, I know that's like kind of like a douchey thing to do. Like, I am this, I am that. Like, nobody really does that. But like, uh, the best way to put it is like, Joe, you kind of just appeared out of nowhere and you became like our voice, like our inside voice, a voice that could be trusted when it comes to all things Chelsea football. So like, I've been personally. I started. I started down this uh, introduced to the Chelsea online community, um, basically like around right around 2013, 2014. I'm gonna go with 2014. Um, and I started watching a YouTube channel. And if anybody's hearing this, and you could tweet at him, uh, Joel Neil Zeka. I started watching his channel, The Guru Show, and then at the end of the season, he stopped. And he recommended uh, following, uh, he said, I'm stopping, you know, putting, you know, doing a show. And I recommend that you guys follow the various other YouTube shows that are um, out. There's great content by Eunice. Um, who was else? No, he just recommended Eunice at that time. And then through Eunice, uh, that was 100% Chelsea. Then I started watching CFC Fan TV. On and on and on. I get to Nini's channel. I started watching Blue Lines TV before Nini was even associated with the channel. Some other dude had it. I don't. I don't remember who he was or what happened, but he had the channel. Then after that, um, one day. I just see your avatar, Nini's talking to you. He's like, all right, we're bringing on Joe Tweedy. And you start talking. You start kicking all types of knowledge, all kinds of knowledge. And I'm like, whoa, this guy must be um, – he must be a professional writer for, for for Chelsea, a sports writer of some sort. He must work for, you know, quote, unquote, ESPN. And, you know, well, Nini – I mean, Nini, I'm sorry, Joe – Take it from there. Like, who who are you? Like, how did how did we get to how does Joe turn into Joe Tweedy? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been quite a long journey, I suppose, for me. I mean, for for people who don't know, my background is in investment banking, so I primarily work with with numbers on a day to day basis and, and data and trading and, and things like that. So. For me, I think writing and, and I suppose reading as well was always a, a kind of escape for me, particularly when I was at university. So um, I think maybe, I want to say maybe seven, maybe seven, eight years ago, I I was part of a, a kind of online Chelsea film community. And I, I was kind of known for doing slightly more detailed kind of posts and stuff on the forum. And I think someone sort of suggested to me at the time, why don't you put some of these sort of thoughts, I think, I think it might have even been about John Obi Mikel at the time, why don't you put some of these uh, thoughts into an article and I'll post it on kind of a website. And I think until that point, I don't think I had really kind of considered myself to be a, a writer or, or, you know, I, I've never really kind of had any real desire to be a journalist or anything like that. But I thought, you know what, it's it's something interesting. It, it takes me away from thinking about numbers and data and trades and shares and bonds and the other stuff that I look at on a day-to-day basis. So... I think with, with, with that in mind, I yeah, I, I started writing. I think the, 
the first article that I ever wrote was actually, you know, quite strange that I'm I'm fairly prominent in terms of, of my opinions about kind of Chelsea's academy players was was looking at the the conundrum around how uh, how kind of young players get opportunities and this was this was kind of over eight years ago so the article I think was on a, a website called justfootball.com I think it was called the Messi Meyer which was you know unless a player is as good as Messi then they don't tend to get opportunities in in terms of football so. I kind of I went from there, um, and, and I suppose I just carried on writing um, various websites. I got picked up by uh, We Ain't Got No History and a few other websites and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, this, this hobby that for me was was kind of just a creative outlet for me to talk about Chelsea and football. I started to to take it a little bit more seriously. I mean, for for those of you who aren't aware, I have qualifications now in in terms of, of scouting, and I have some some coaching some coaching badges as well. And you know, pretty much a lot of my my library is consistent of, of football tactics books and football coaching books and, and things of that nature. So, for me, kind of reading about football and learning about football has always been pretty enjoyable. When I was younger, I used to play a pretty high standard when I was uh, when I was playing at least. So, I think for me, it's always just been a continuation of, of that love. But equally, I think for Chelsea, um, you know, I'm not someone who is, is going to sit there and write articles about kind of Manchester United or England or kind of anything besides that. My my real passion and, and real desire is, is is around Chelsea. So that kind of grew and grew and grew. And I think I got to a point where, um, particularly through social media, maybe I was kind of at sort of the the, the vanguard of that when it first started. I, I've managed to, to build up a pretty uh, interesting network of, of people that I talk to, both in terms of the people in the media. So a lot of the people that I first started connecting with when I was first starting on, on Twitter and places like this are now sort of, you know, editors of the Daily Mail and they're, they're pretty significant journalists. They work for some, some of the most notable um, kind of publications, particularly in the UK. So that's kind of sort of, the, you know, that sort of side of it. But as well, you know, I've, I've been able to, to connect with, with various football agents and, and also people at Chelsea um, as well. I know for a fact that um, particularly my, my kind of more long-form articles on the academy have been passed around the academy and read by people who, who work at Chelsea. So that kind of stuff is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's, I think really it's just a succession of, of me uh, you know, have finding a, a hobby in terms of writing that I really enjoy. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very kind of against some of these, these very kind of hot take pieces and clickbait pieces. And, you know, I think, you know, people we kind of expect when they sort of read something from me that, it, that it's pretty well researched. It's probably going to be fairly long to read. But I think that's, you know, I'm not aiming for sort of a 500 word piece that you maybe read kind of on the, you know, on the train to work in the morning. I want people to, to think about things that I'm saying. I don't think necessarily that everyone would agree with everything that I say. But I think as long as it comes from a, a place that's well reasoned and well argued and well researched, then. I think that's that's probably been the, the kind of if I if I have any keys to sort of success or whatever that's probably been the key is just that ability to just sort of sit there and, and take my time and research and write and and make sure that I I can present things in a way that I think people can can understand. I think a lot of uh, football writing these days, particularly when it comes to things like stats and, and stuff like that, I think people are uh, trying to to sort of make football not not make football overly complicated, but you know, some of these statistics are, are pretty intense in terms of some of the quantitative theory behind them and some of the sort of statistical work that they're doing. And I think sometimes that, that kind of switches people off. So for me, it's, it's kind of a combination of knowing when to when to drop um, sort of pertinent statistics or pertinent metrics into an article, but also be able to actually talk about what you're seeing. And I think in some cases, particularly guys who maybe have more of a statistics background than me, that they 
they view football through this sort of numerical prism, which I don't necessarily feel is 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 how I I didn't grow up watching football looking for assists and goals and past completion statistics. I was looking for forty yard volleys and you know beating. 55 players on the pitch and scoring in the top corner. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of, of, of writing, I think, for me, as I said, it's, it's a creative outlet. And, yeah, I mean, to, to sort of get to this point, I mean, I, I mean I've had some, some pretty interesting opportunities, been able to connect with people like Jody Morris and, and uh, Lewis Baker's agent and, and recently was able to talk to uh, an ex-Chelsea player. And, and, and those sorts of opportunities, I think, you know, are pretty interesting that realistically have come from someone who... Who doesn't necessarily want to be a journalist or want to be a writer? It's it's just kind of a, I think a natural consequence of, of a lot of time invested in in trying to trying to be you know at least a, a writer that, that's thought provoking and, and and writes things that are considered and, and well researched. So yeah, I mean to, to sort of get to this point, I mean I, I don't really consider myself to be a a quote unquote sort of social media personality type person, but you know the ability to to jump on podcasts and to be able to write for various publications and, and in general just to be able to connect with lots of different fans on, on social media. I think that, that's the really, really cool aspect is is the, the sort of connections that you make with people like yourself and, and people who necessarily, you know, you would never ever sort of have a chance to, to meet or interact with. So for me, that's that's kind of the, the upside is this ability to to connect with, with Chelsea fans across the globe. And I think that's kind of the, the sort of foundation of, of how I how I write and how I approach social media and you know, I think I'm a, a fairly approachable guy. I'm, I'm hopeful that, that people who who know me and people who get to know me know that I'm I'm quite happy to go out of my way, even if I don't particularly know someone in person. I'm quite happy to go out of my way to to try and help them and to try and make them uh, sort of you know use some of the network that I've established and try and sort of put them on in in, in social situations. I do kind of well, I'm, I'm quite a big believer in paying things forward. So you know, in, in that respect, you know, guys like Nini and 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 the guys at London is Blue and other people in terms of their podcasts, I've been trying to to sort of get them some some sort of nice access and, and some put them into touch with some some people that I think would be interesting to talk to as well. So I mean on that basis, yeah, it's just I think it's really just a a very slow culmination of, of maybe seven years of writing and, and maybe the right people would have seen what I've written and, and you know you kind of get kind of ele- elevated to this sort of status when really as I said I just see myself as a, a Chelsea fan who who kind of writes as a hobby. That 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 right there is why you are the people's champion. <laughs> you are literally the fucking people's champion. Um oh and, and Joe, I, I do apologize. I, I say bad words. Um I I, I don't I, I I apologize if that's you know, I you know what? I'm in a suit and tie on this end, so I'm gonna use professional <laughs> language and <laughs> and so from here on out I'm not fucking cursing, alright? So Alright, so um the first thing that you said and uh for all the fans listening to to, to the podcast right now from this point point on we're not going to be talking chelsea football we're going to be talking investment banking so psych <laughs> if you thought you were listening to this podcast to get the hot take the insight from joe you, you, you got keep it moving because it's not going to happen uh, uh for all of you I, i've never shared this before i spent five years in banking so from here on out joe and i are going to have shop talk inside trading talk and look at it this way look at it this way what other podcast has has any other football show put money in your pockets? No, they haven't. So this one is, Joe, give it to me. Talk to me about bitcoins. Come on. <laughs> That's actually one of the only things that I'm not allowed to, <laughs> not allowed to discuss. Um, so the, the, I mean, very quickly, I mean the, the, the banking 
sort of area that I work in, they I'm they like the technology. They, they like the blockchain technology. They think that it's something that's going to be worth investing. But banks across the globe have spent kind of billions upon billions of dollars over the past five to ten years looking at, in particular, identifying sort of the counterparty who you're trading with and the fact that Bitcoin comes in and kind of undermines that within, you know, the first sort of 10 seconds of you placing a trade or transacting with someone. I don't think banks really are, uh, are super kind of impressed with with how uh, how that works. You know, you you spend ages looking at data and transactional information and, and are trying to establish who the kind of counterparty is and all these kind of multitude of regulations that have been put in place really to protect people. Uh, protect investors, protect normal people, um, and kind of Bitcoin. You don't know necessarily. Okay, yeah, you bought this at this price, but what are you buying it for? You know, the kind of is the person on the other side? Is it? Is it? Are they processing? You know, uh, proceeds from 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 crime? Is it going towards funding terrorism? Is it some kind of absolute lunatic? You know, you, you don't know anything about the person you're transacting with, and I think that's the major thing that that they're trying to see here. I think, you know, the 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 kind of next. I suppose the next kind of step in, in, in that sort of space will be for, I imagine, um, some sort of regulated or, or slightly more regulated version of the kind of the, the blockchain technology being used. But I think until that point in time, and I think, again, the, the one thing I would say to people, and you know, I, I would also caveat this, but this is, uh, this is not advice, you're free to do with whatever you want with your own money. But the fact that I think Bitcoin, in, in terms of sort of trading, you know, the, the kind of volatility that we see in the market, uh, particularly a couple of months ago when it was sort of uh, spiking and in, in, in particularly in kind of the highs. And now I think it's dropped off by almost $5,000 or something like that the last time I checked. But, you know, something that volatile isn't necessarily the best thing to 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 invest in. Um, I, again, if you were looking at that as a, as a normal security or normal instrument that trades, then I think that there would be a lot of... Uh, interest from from you know, various regulations european central bank the, the sec and people like that will be looking into the, the kind of the trading patterns there so i would be i would be you noted know, of course just i know people have made a lot of money on it but you know i think it, that's mostly due to i think it was it was quite uh, quite fashionable at, at the time um, and, and people who bought early managed to sell at the top obviously made a bit of money but for me personally it's something that i would I would probably uh, look at with, with with some caution. I think it's it's great technology. I think it's definitely part of the future. But I think in in its current guise, I think that there's there's too many red flags for me to to seriously look at it in in any kind of capacity. Yeah. Um. Well, that's it, everybody. It's nothing else to talk about here. Uh, Joe <laughs> said it all. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. Um. Yeah. Like. And, and not to this is a, the Chelsea the All American Chelsea podcast so we're gonna obviously I'm just joking we're talking Chelsea but um I I do own a little bit of a Bitcoin not much I I don't have anything I don't have anything of of necessarily value I have I think it's like a hundred bucks uh in Bitcoin I think I have two hundred bucks in Ripple and at this time it's 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 mostly just for fun like the same way that I had. A hundred bucks in um in the betting site Bodog, uh just for fun. Um, I, when it comes to investing, I'll say this: for the younger audience, one day you will retire. So the earlier you think about putting money away, the better. Um, anything that makes you money, uh, as far as investments over a long period of time, is best. Uh, if you're a little bit more adventurous, you can go a little bit more, something a little bit more volatile. However, you don't ever want to be in a situation uh, like where you invest all your money, your whole life savings into Bitcoin and then 
have it all go away uh, overnight. That's just not a good feeling. Uh, I've personally had to sit down with people where they've just invested $80,000 into not the stock market, not anything into a business, and then watch it all go up in flames six months later because their business partner didn't explain to them correctly. They were scammed, this, that, or the other. You just don't want to be in that situation. So that's that. Uh, time for football. So I wanted to um, circle back onto what we you you um you opened up the podcast with. Um, one thing that's very important to me, uh, and this is quick, I'll just move it along. The I'm so happy you brought up the pay it forward. Um, because you listen to my show doesn't mean that you can't listen to anybody else's show. I'm appreciative for every single listener that I have, but I will always support and I'll always promote anybody any other Chelsea podcast, anybody else providing any type of Chelsea content, whether that's the London is Blue. Joe was just on their show uh, this weekend. Please go check them out. Whether that's Nini's channel, 100% Chelsea, uh, CFC Fan TV, um, the Chels, football, Chelsea Football Fan Cat, all, all the shows that I've mentioned and the millions and thousands that I haven't mentioned, we're all the same family. The rising tide lifts all boats. Support all of them everybody we're all a family all right so i got that out of the way so if i'm not mistaken Drew, you said that you started off playing football correct as a as a as a kid right up to university correct yeah so i was a i, I used to play two sports so in in the uk we have concepts of you can represent i suppose the equivalent would be representing your state so, for example, Texas would have a, a football team that's comprised of the best high school football players in Texas, and they would play Florida, for example. So I used to play both football and I used to play rugby as well at, at county level. So I used to play state yeah. level um, sport for, for both rugby and, and football when I was in school. Nice, nice, nice. So you so you and I share that I came to, I, I came to football a little bit later in life. I played American, sport, uh, American sports all my life, played American football. All the way up through high school, played competitive flag football with some guys that were in college football and ex uh, NFL guys. So I, I I kind of view the game of football, and I mean you know this time I'm talking about soccer a little bit differently. When I'm watching a game, and and this is this is this is why I wanted to um ask you certain questions. When I'm watching a game, I'm looking more so I don't know stats. I'm looking more so of players. What are their movements? And this is actually mm-hmm. perfect um, tying into Monday's game. Um, yes, we won 1-0. We played Perth of Glory. Uh, glory of Perth? How do you say it? <laughs> I think they're Perth Glory, yeah. P- Perth Glory? Yeah. Um, and I didn't – I wasn't uh, – Joe, how did you watch that game? Did you watch it with – um, an Excel spreadsheet in front of you and heat <laughs> maps and everything, or were you watching it just simply, you know, watching the players, not necessarily watching the scoreboard or how, how do you view a game? So, I mean, I think this is, this is quite an important question because for me personally, whenever I watch a match, um, uh, this is whether I'm in a stadium, I'm watching on television, I'm, I'm there to, I'm there to enjoy the, the football, I'm there to watch the action, I'm there to watch the players, I think the the analytical side of it comes afterwards, but 
you know, I, I feel quite often these days that people, particularly with, with statistics, they create this narrative. Sometimes it doesn't reflect the actual match that you've seen. So they're almost trying to to paint the, the story of what they've seen using numbers and data and heat maps and any other kind of metric or visualization technique that you want to want to look at. And sometimes for me personally, I don't think that that almost ties up in the in the reality of, of what you're seeing. I mean, I think Diego Costa, for, for, you know, is probably an incredibly good example of, of, of why sort of viewing games through that kind of analytical prism when you're watching it isn't always the greatest thing because there were times during games where Costa would would lose the ball and you look at his like dispossession stats and you know the number of times he got uh, lost jewels and stuff like that but he still scored the winning goal or he still scored the first goal and, and to me that's far more important than the fact that he lost the ball three or four times it's the it's the decisive moment in the match which realistically data doesn't capture it doesn't give the context doesn't give you the the kind of the, the the nuance of the game you know i mean a, a last minute winner on a stat sheet is a number one in an excel spreadsheet it doesn't give you the doesn't give you the feeling doesn't give you the momentum that that particular goal has has caused you know i think you know when you look at last minute winners the sort of feel good factor often carries over to the next game how how do you quantify that using using spreadsheets and using numbers you, you simply can't so so when i when i look at games i mean don't get me wrong i mean i i can i can identify when when someone is is not playing particularly well, when I can I can I can look at that and and I can see the the numbers after the game to kind of support that claim. But I think first and foremost, but when you're watching football, your opinion should be driven by what you're seeing. You know, you should use data to, to kind of support your your empirical observations about what's happening. It shouldn't be something that that you you know. I, I feel so many people, particularly on social media, they retweet um, you know tweets from Squawker and who scored and these other kind of sort of stat services and, and almost, you know, it's completely devoid of context of the game. The fact that, you know, Jorginho like completed uh, like 98% of his passes, fantastic. But for me, it's, it's how many of them were forward, how many of them were attacking, how, how many of them helped create, say, a chance, how much move play, how much put other players into dangerous positions. And until you kind of, you're kind of able to kind of sort of, uh, I suppose, quantify that, then, then some of the statistics that you see are almost meaningless. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a case of, Looking at the looking at the game, first and foremost, enjoying what you're watching. If you're not enjoying it, you're you're trying to come up with some sort of thesis around passing and things like that while you're watching it. For me personally, you're watching the wrong sport. But you know, for, it's it's a question of enjoying it, appreciating what you're seeing, trying to formulate opinions on on players, their body shape, their movement, how they're kind of how they're kind of impacting the game. And and if you then you know if you then kind of that way inclined, then look at the, the data afterwards by all means. But I think when people start looking at the data during a game trying to paint a picture of of the match and also trying to give impressions of, of what a player's like just by using numbers. Um, personally, again, as you know, kind of mentioned in the beginning, I've, I've started to, to sort of do a lot of these sort of scouting qualifications because it, it might be something I, I want to look at a little bit further down the line. And, you know, the, the, the main tenet, the main principle of these qualifications is, is always, it's your observation of the player. It's your subjective take on that player's skill set, you know, in terms of, how you analyze them and how you process them, you need to be able to, to be able to quantify that and, and, and be able to write about them and be able to talk about their, their technical aspects, their physical, mental, whatever it is. And then you can look at numbers and start bringing that in. I think it's it's a dangerous question to start, you know, kind of potentially seeing football in, in that sort of money ball kind of paradox or paradigm exactly. where I literally you know, have Moneyball written down in my in my yeah. notes. I, I literally yeah. have that. And if you guys don't know, um Moneyball and I am not a baseball um, 
I'm not a baseball fan, even though my family's Dominican. I'm looked at as the black sheep because <laughs> I do not like baseball. Um, and it, again, if you don't know, Dominican Republic is is a small little island that produces a crazy amount of baseball players. Um, as a matter of fact, if you look at like I think it's uh, there was an article by ESPN uh, not too long ago or a, a, a segment that a majority of the black players, because America's uh, um, you know major league baseball wants to push diversity and inclusion by minorities but a majority of the black players in um baseball are not african-american they're actually uh latin african-american um and and a a majority not a majority but a, a, a giant portion of that percentage is a uh, dominican um but I, I i don't like baseball but back to moneyball moneyball is the idea that you use statistics instead of your eyes to scout players so you'll be able to find the best players based off of the numbers that they're producing and you can find let's say somebody that's cost let's put it in football terms you can find a guy that's has a a, um, a buyout clause a a valuation of two million dollars producing the same way as a guy that's um produce that has the same statistics the same output but their value at $50 million, $60 million, and it helps you find a way to find value in players using the numbers. However, sports doesn't work like that. You have to be able to see with your eyes what's actually going on. Um, and, and yeah, I have Moneyball written down here. Uh, amazing, amazing. Joe, I think, I think you and I, um, we might be related. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'm definitely part Dominican, so I mean that's, uh, that, that obviously comes into play. So. We're, we might be related, Joe. I, I got to yeah. figure this out. You might be a cousin or something. Do you? <laughs> we got to figure that. Joe, can you dance? Are you a dancer? My sister was a professional dancer, so there it, it, it is. I, it's I in the blood. I can, but by proxy, possibly yes. It's in the blood. That that's we're yes. gonna by the end of this podcast, we're gonna find it. We're gonna find it. So I, mean, I, I can do the investment banking, me rock. That's about the. <laughs> The extent of it, so yeah, I've got I've got a mean Millie Rock, so. <laughs> oh my God, Joe motherfucking Tweety, the people's champ. All right, Joe. So, based off of what you saw yesterday, Chelsea played the first. Uh, we we got to see at least publicly because we've all seen the Twitter videos, the little yeah. clips of what's going on in the training ground. But yesterday, we got to see officially the first. Um, the first glimpses of what sorry ball is going to look like. We had Jorginho completing what in like 10 minutes, he completed name 900 passes in, in 10 yeah. minutes. But I mean, again, how many of those were attacking and, 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 and we're going to move, we're going to go from, from keeper all the way forward. Um, and again, we're not, I, I, we, we only scored one goal, but it's not, it's more than the goal. At least for me, at least for me, when I'm watching sports, I, I I tend to watch how the guys move because I came to the sport later in life. So I, I play as much as I can, but I tend to watch how the guys move so then I can go out and mimic what I've seen. So that's how I, I'm filtering this conversation. And I apologize. We're going to we're going to, you know, Joe, Joe's an excellent person to ask on this. So based off of what you saw yesterday, starting with the defense. How did you see how David, uh, David Luiz and Nathan Ampadu, 
how how were they working within the sorry ball uh system and then if you can please compare it to what we saw last year um in Antonio Conte or in, in the season before it's, it's, you understand what I'm saying take take it from yeah, there yeah I mean, I, I suppose if, if you're looking at kind of the back four and, and even sort of the, the goalkeeper in, in, in sort of a, a grouping there, I think the, the main thing in terms of the, the difference is, I mean, from a structure point of view, obviously now where we're playing a four at the back, not a five at the back or a three at the back. So there are some slightly different position requirements. And then, you know, I think that will take some adjusting. I think David Luiz in particular um, will will take some time to adjust primarily you know, because he obviously didn't play a lot of football last season but I think again you know he was uh, pretty crucial to that, that back three system so I think with with him and, and Ampadu I think what we were seeing was was really kind of how these centre-backs are potentially going to be used in, in the future and in terms of sort of Sari's system particularly at Napoli the the ability for a, a centre-back to start or instigate attacking moves, whether that's beating a, a press with a pass. So when you play teams like Liverpool, who really harass you from the front, I think what we're going to be able to see is, is a defender being empowered to make that initial pass between you know Firmino and, and Mane and Salah, hopefully into midfield, hopefully, in, hopefully into an advanced um, midfielder or into a forward's feet. And, I think we we were starting to see some of the yesterday. I mean, I was particularly impressed with with Ethan Ampadu. I think that Chelsea have have somehow uncovered a, a pretty unique player. I mean, personally, I, I feel that his his position, at least you know, while he's developing, that he's probably a slightly better fit in midfield. But I think as a as a centre back yesterday, you know, he's he's composed. He's got that that very kind of. I mean, he he looks. You know, I think he's seventeen, eighteen. He plays as if he's. As you know, kind of in his in his thirties, and I think what we were seeing, particularly just some of the distribution um, in in the back three last season, was was just how much time the the ball spent at the back, not really progressing. And I think yesterday, in particular, we saw at least you know in, in the first half attempts from from defenders to start moving the ball quickly, even if that's from left to right, right to left. You know, it, it's two touches. It's not sort of dawdling on the ball. It's not spending ages um, and I think also when you look at the sort of influence that Jorginho has his his availability for defenders they know that they can fire the ball into him and they know that in, in sort of two touches very very quickly that ball is going to either progress forward or it's going to move to a position that, that enables someone else to, to kind of attack so I think when you have the, the confidence particularly with, with Ampadu and, and Luis to play that ball into Jorginho also just the, the general tempo of moving the ball around at the back I think that that really is going to be the the major difference to what we have seen with with Conte, um, you know, I think there was probably some kind of reluctance to let, you know, kind of either the, the left or the right centre back um, sort of progress the, with, with the ball into midfield. But under Sari, I mean, that's almost going to become a, a requirement of the system is to have at least one, preferably two players who are comfortable carrying the ball out of defence because the amount of opportunities that it opens up for you, particularly with the style of football, the the sort of the, the system that relies on creating triangles and angles and passing and, and looking to move the ball up the pitch very vertically. The, the, the ability for someone to carry the ball up the pitch is, is incredibly crucial. So it will be interesting to see when Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger and, and maybe even Kurt Zuma come back into the side or come back into the equation, who uh, Sari is going to pick as his first choice pairing. Because I think, you know, it's not only the 
the aspect of how good they are on the ball in terms of their ability to pass. But I think actually it's going to be also their comfort bringing the ball out of the back is, is going to be, I think, one of the, the, the prime sort of selection criteria that Sari has when he picks certain players. So for me, I think, yeah, the, the, the main thing yesterday, again, I, I would say probably mostly in the first 45 minutes, the second half was a little bit disjointed. Yeah. But you were starting to see some of those kind of patterns of play. And I think the just the tempo of the passing and the, the requirement to try and move the ball as quickly as possible, as I said, even if it is going side to side, if you move it quickly enough, you can actually sort of, you know, kind of take um, forwards out of um, forwards out of the game. You can actually sort of move the ball to a point where you're actually able to play a quick forward pass. So for me, that, that's, that's the, the major difference. I think defensively, I think that there's going to be a requirement that we're obviously playing a slightly higher line than what we're used to seeing as well. Um, again, that will obviously come into the equation because, you know, high line means you typically need players that have pretty good recovery speed. So you're looking at someone like probably Antonio Rudiger probably gets a nod in that respect. He's probably our quickest centre-back. Um, even you know, Ampadu as well is, is also pretty quick. Christensen is, is no slouch. So I yeah. think, you know, there, there's a lot of... Um, there's going to be a lot of, of, of different ways to sort of slice and dice the, the kind of back four. Um, and the other thing I would mention as well from, from the goalkeeper standpoint is I can't remember a Chelsea goalkeeper, goalkeeper playing that many short passes um, during yeah. uh, any kind of game. You know, the, uh, there was a clip on, I think, Martin Balker's uh, Instagram where he, he kind of had a small cut up of his game. And, you know, just watching that kind of in, in isolation, I didn't quite appreciate it at the time, but I think he must have played. 20, 25 passes into into the feet of someone coming out of the back, and whereas I think Courtois is more of a you know chip it up to Alvaro Morata sort of goalkeeper. So yeah. I think you know you're, you're starting to see the beginnings of a of a stylistic change. It's going to take a, a lot more than obviously one pre-season game, but definitely I would say that the foundations are there, and it's going to be really interesting to see, particularly if if we do sign uh, Daniele Regani, um, what that starting centre back pair is going to look like, because you know I think that they're the characteristics that Sari wants in them, obviously they're, they're going to have to be decent defenders, but I think that the characteristics will be a lot different to what we've seen under Conte primarily because, you know, I think Sari would ideally like two ball playing defenders who can bring the ball out, who can pass, who have got that, that confidence to, 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 to play those difficult passes. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was impressed particularly with sort of the first 45 minutes. And I think Ethan Ampadu in particular, um, looks, you know, he looks like he belongs at Chelsea level. Yeah, exactly. He impressed. He impressed. Now, one thing, like, and again, I'm sure you've been in this situation where you go go to the field, you're going to go play with, you know, some friends, and then somebody brings their little brother along, and the first thing you're thinking of is, Jesus Christ, man, we're, you know, we're in our 20-something, and you're going to bring a 15-year-old, and now we got to slow down our game to kind of protect him. And uh, with Ethan Ampadu and... uh. I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to lay it, leave it later. But with our youngsters, I felt like there was no there was no babying them. They felt they felt like grown men out there. They didn't feel like they didn't feel their age. They didn't they, I didn't see them shying away from Yeah, you know what though, but that's not fair. I mean, we yeah. were we we weren't we weren't playing a higher competition so we can actually get a a, a true um accurate picture or like a a true idea of how they actually play, but um, Ethan Ampadu, I think I, I like. I will say this: a thought that crossed my mind, and I, I started getting a little bit nervous watching the first half of the game. I'm like, oh my god, like these guys are passing the ball too much around the back. It's too much in the middle. Like something bad is gonna happen. Like I'm so accustomed to seeing the ball go out wide to 
you know, either Marcus Alonso or especially towards the end of the season was what Cesar Asperlaqueta was getting the ball all the time on the right-hand side, getting closed down immediately, and then, you know, trying to boot it up the field or it would come back. Like, I, I, it seems like right off the jump, that was one thing right out of the that I that I felt like I could tell that this is something that Sarri has instructed them to do. Like, guys, pass the ball around from the back, and it's okay. You'll be okay. Um, same thing with Bolka. He's eight. How old is he? Eighteen? Nineteen? I think he's eighteen. Yeah. Is he? He's built like a man already. That guy is yeah. not yeah. small. He's he's the he was in the in the group picture. He was in the back line. He was the biggest guy there. He was the biggest guy yeah, there. He's, he's not small by any question of imagination. I, I, I think uh, Balker for me is is an interesting one because I think in terms of talent. He's probably the most talented goalkeeper we've had at the academy. And I, I would say that he's probably, probably better than Blackman. Some distance. I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's better than Blackman at the moment. I think Blackman's actually quite a good goalkeeper. But if we're talking about potential, we're talking about sort of how high someone's ceiling is. I think Borka, particularly if he continues to work on his distribution, you know, his kind of game with his feet, he has the prototypical size for a goalkeeper. I think he, he's about six foot five. You know, he's, he's got the size... You know, he's got incredible reflexes. He's incredibly agile. He moves fantastically well. Yeah. His kind of core goalkeeping skill set as a goalkeeper, shot stopping, all that sort of stuff, aggression, you know, he has everything that you want. The only thing that he lacks is experience. So, you know, yeah. from, from from looking at how Chelsea are going to potentially handle this, this Thibaut Courtois situation, if he does leave, I mean, ideally, you know, I would like to go and get someone a bit more experienced. Say someone like Cassius Michael. Yep. He's in, yep. He's in his 30s, 31. By the time he's 33, maybe, you know, Bork will be yep. in his kind of early 20s. Maybe then you can transition to, to having someone like Borka take over the reins. Um, but, I mean, I would like to see, I think maybe he'll be kept around this season. But I think, you know, if he goes on loan for a season, I think for him now, it's just a question of getting that experience. Because from a talent perspective, I think he's incredibly good. You know, he, he has the, the potential to be a Chelsea goalkeeper. It's just a question now of, of how the club manages development, because I, I, you know, I, I do think realistically that that he could be a a, a Chelsea goalie of the future. Yeah, no, I, I now is this? Do you think? Because one thing I I was saying during the game, I'm like, man, this guy could, this kid could be something. Um, but because he wasn't tested throughout the game, I felt like it, we couldn't again couldn't get a, a true sense of his actual skill, but. One thing I was noticing, you mentioned it before, like his short passes. I'm so accustomed to seeing Tebow blast the ball up with like 60 yards, 70 yards up the field to try to get uh, to Morata, and seeing him pull short. If to my like, sorry, wasn't one that instructed. That's part of the system. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, That's part of the so system. The, the, the main, oh, I suppose one of, one of the main principles I should say for, for Sari is, is ball retention at, at kind of all costs. So as soon as you launch a ball up to a striker, you know, it's, you're giving a, a defender a 50-50 opportunity to take possession back. And I think he would rather the goalkeeper try and play a short pass into a defender. And, and again, you know, this is all about kind of mechanisms of play and, if you have a goalkeeper that could, and I think there was a number of occasions where he played the ball um, past the the initial forward line, so the centre forward into Jorginho, and as soon as you do that, you know you've got a goalkeeper who can take out maybe two, three players, particularly if teams are playing three forwards, you know, and, and then that really gives you a platform to to start attacking and start playing 
a quicker tempo. I think when you are playing long, particularly to maybe not particularly to Mata, that's a bit unkind, but just any any kind of general centre forward, you know, you're giving an opportunity for the other team to win possession back very quickly. Um, yeah. Whereas the the kind of style that, that Sarri is trying to put into play, particularly you know, passing the ball short to centre backs and to and to the full backs and into midfield, he's looking to try and take opposition players out of the game as soon as possible, and that's entirely kind of what his his philosophy is, is about. Is it's kind of vertical tiki taka. It's it's taking the ball quickly up the pitch using short passes, using triangles, and trying to take opposition defenders, opposition players out of the game really as soon as possible. And if you can do that from a goalkeeper standpoint. If you can take out forwards, take out that press, then immediately you're, you're kind of putting Jorginho and Kante and, and others that are going to be playing straight into the, the kind of midfield areas without having to have, you know, two, three players chasing them or two, three players pressing them from a the forward line. They're straight into the into the midfield against their kind of counterparts. So it's, it's something that you'll probably see quite regularly. And I think also, I mean, if we're trying to, if we're trying to justify, let's say, Courtois leaving, I, again, I think he's an exceptional goalkeeper. Courtois isn't the best of his feet. And I think, again, this is such a fundamental reason, I think, why the club were, were interested in Alisson is that he's such a good passer of the ball. And I think, again, okay. that that's something that if, if Balker continues to work on that, that he will put himself in a pretty good stead to to potentially take over from whoever the, the next goal is, or even if Courtois remains, yeah. Okay, okay. And, 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 and just real quick for the listeners, um, if you're like me, uh, you're consuming all different news from Twitter, from you know uh, the subreddit, the Chelsea subreddit, I go there all the time. Um, you're just consuming all types of uh, Chelsea news, and we all know who the transfer targets are. We all know what you know our list. But at least for me, what I don't know, where I'm a little bit hazy, is like the the mythology on Sari's ball, the, 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 the strategy behind it. So my, my line of questioning is going to c- kind of veer towards that. I yeah. understand that Regani is supposed to come in. I personally, Joe, why do we need Regani? I, I can't, I can't for the life of me. If, if I'm doing, if I'm, if I'm writing a team sheet here, I have Rudiger, who I personally am a big fan of. I think the man can play. Yes, he had some mental laps, but these people are human. And how many mental... I, I mean, like, he had a few mental laps this year, but I don't feel like they were, like, well, yeah, it's tough. He did have against Barcelona. That was a big mental lapse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to... Rudy, I'm trying to defend you here, my man, but, like, you're not helping me. But I, I, I'm a big fan of Rudiger. I'm a big fan of Christensen. Jesus Christ, I love that kid. Um, David Luiz, I think from what I saw yesterday, based off of David Luiz's skills that we've seen over the years, I think he's going to do just fine in sorry in Sarri's system. I think he's extremely comfortable at his feet, uh, with the ball at his feet. Um, I don't. Th- I, I think the one thing he's going to have to tame. But you know, then again, I did see the the center back super high up the pitch yesterday. Is that something that's normal, or is that just because of it was yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday, yeah, Monday. No, it's uh, it, again, it, it's one of these kind of central tenets of of Sarri's system is that you you squeeze the game as much as possible, you press the ball as much as possible, you compress the game as much as possible to win the ball back. 
And by pushing your, your defence so high up, obviously you're compressing the game, you're making it more difficult for the other team to, yeah. to play out, you're kind of condensing the space. I mean, the, obviously the, the flip side there is that you need to have... Horses to run, yeah, exactly. to come back. You need to have pace, you need to have people who are athletes because you know if you chip the boy over uh, Liverpool chip the boy over Mohamed Salah you know he's gone you need someone who can be able to, to chase back with him and and and, and kind of yeah obviously be able to, yeah. to try and tackle him or try and sort of uh, hold up play but yeah exactly yeah someone like Rudiger I think Palmieri is very quick as well yeah um uh, I mean Christensen's no slouch but I mean you, you need at least one player in that in that yeah. team who you would you would describe as fast yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 just purely about condensing the the pitch, compressing the game, you know, making the the space tighter. Um, I think sometimes last season where we were kind of playing, I suppose that the technical term would be kind of a mid or low block where the defence sits maybe 20, 30 metres deeper or 20, 30 yards deeper in the half. Is you 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 offer the the space to the team, you offer them different angles, you offer them different passing lanes, you you open up the game slightly more. And don't get me wrong, it's it's a very high risk, high reward strategy, but it's kind of a foundational principle. If you want to press the ball as, as much as Sari probably will do, um, you need to be able to compress the game and, and, and reduce some of those spaces, reduce some of those passing lanes, reduce some of those opportunities that people have to play out from the back. And one of the best ways to do that is to, is to, is to, to bring the, the, the back four up and condense the game as much as possible. And you think that Ragani is 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 going to be a step above because I have a friend of mine. He is a diehard Juventus fan. And anytime we're linked to Juventus or anytime we're linked to anybody in Serie A, I go straight to him and I ask him, Hey, you've seen this guy more than I have. What does he bring to the table? And, and, and his exact words were Regani is somebody that we, he doesn't start. He's somebody that we had a lot of promise. He came into the team he was sold to us as somebody that's going to take over. And for whatever reason, he just hasn't done that. So it kind of, I don't have a problem with being linked to a player, but it just doesn't make sense to me that we're going to spend, what, now they're looking at close to 50, 50 million pounds, dollars, euros for Ragani, who, for a player that we might not even need, like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Is he taking Cahill's spot? Is he, is he going to start over, over Rudiger, David Luiz, Christensen? What, what is your thoughts there? I mean, I think the, the prime reason that the club, or at least you know, the, the club, are showing interest in him, whether we, we sign him or not, I think his, his understanding of the Sari system, particularly when he was Empoli, where he came through under Sari. Okay. I think that is the you're buying the the kind of the, the sort the of pre-existing knowledge. You're buying yeah. exactly yeah. You're buying the know-how and how to play the system. And I think potentially as well okay. that he he for me is a is a better centre back in a two than a three. And I think again Juventus typically play, play the three, play the three at the back. Yeah. Um, you know I think the the one knock on him from from what I've read and and maybe I haven't seen it so much in the games that I've seen, but it's definitely something that that crops up a bit if you read anything about him is just whether he has that that kind of ruthless mentality needed to be completely elite, I don't know. Um, but I mean, from a, from an ability standpoint, you know, he reads the game very well. He's very very comfortable on the ball. And I think again, we're we're probably going to see that being one of the 
trying characteristics of a Sari centre-back is that they're comfortable, that how comfortable they are in possession, passing, bring the ball out from the back, those sorts of things. I think, again, he's a very aggressive defender. He's got good physicality. I think he's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so he's got a good size. But I, I think it's the it's the know-how. It's the understanding of how Sari plays. It's the understanding of, of how he wants his centre-backs to play. And I think, again, the, the point would be that if we do buy him for that sort of money, it's probably going to be Rugani plus one in terms of who's going to start. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't be spending that yeah. sort of money if they're not going to come in and start. So who makes way? I, I don't know. I think the club will most likely try and keep Kekel around because obviously he's English. English. I think we were having a few a few issues with some of the homegrown quota rules that are coming into play. I think the squad as it's current built, we've got one too many foreign players. So we need to we need to sort of address that somehow. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think he's a good player. I think potentially it's just one of those things where you know I, I think there's a price for a lot of Borussia Dortmund players is when they leave Dortmund. Sometimes you know they they don't quite recapture that that form. They don't recapture that kind of level of ability. And I think maybe Rugani is is someone who is enabled by Sari's system, enabled by the type of football that Sari plays. And I think in that that question, you're kind of you're hoping that he can rekindle that kind of potential because that your your friend's right. You know, he he came to Juventus with an incredibly high reputation. He was like the heir to Benucci, which is yeah. pretty uh, you know pretty kind of significant label to put on someone. So maybe it's a question of of Rugani having to adapt to to Sari, having to to come in and, and and sort of flourish under that system. Whereas I think at Juventus, if he's asked to be sort of very much a traditional centre back, which most likely the Juventus back three, uh, they're, they're there to defend, you know, guys like Chiellini and, and others are, are known for being defenders rather than footballers first. So maybe from a style standpoint, a stylistic standpoint, he just didn't fit. And I think potentially at, at Chelsea and under Sarri, that, that fit would be slightly better. Um, I always use the example of Borussia Dortmund because you've got guys like Shinji Kagawa and Henrik Mkhitaryan yeah. who, who left, you know, with pretty high, big reputations, came to Manchester United and, and did and nothing. Played. And have done absolutely nothing. So, yeah. you know, sometimes it's it's the systems that, that that makes the player. And I think in terms of Rugani, hopefully that 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 would be my my one thing I would I would cling to in terms of uh, that kind of money being spent on him is that there is a uh, an expectation that he rekindles the sort of form that he had for Empley on the side. Because if, if you if you go back and and try and see some of his clips when he was Empley, I mean this this is, you know this is a guy that Juventus were expecting to be the next Bonucci. So yeah. he does have that potential. I think it's just a question of, of what if he can realise that again playing under Sari. And again, I think that's probably what the club are gambling on is that he will rekindle that that uh, level of, of ability and, and, and again show that level of promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're buying you're buying uh you're buying the hardware because uh, the software is already there. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's the same line of thinking uh, with with uh, this idea that's going around with bringing back uh, uh, Choloba because he have already has a pre-existing no- um, knowledge on the Sari system. Right? Am I right on that? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. And- you know, I mean, again, I think it's it's one of the prime reasons that we that we bought Jorginho. Um, yeah. That's a no-brainer, though. Yeah, exactly. That's a he, he is the the brains of, of the Napoli team. He is the you know he, he's the he's the quarterback. He's the point guard. He's the he's the main guy. He's the main main ball handler at Napoli. Yeah. And you know, by buying him, you're not kind of making anyone else. You're not in, you know kind of entrusting that that level of of knowledge of the system, how to play the system perfectly, is 
is going to be expected of, of any other player. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a sort of drag and drop. You drag the knowledge, yeah. you drop it into the team, and then you kind of worry about the other positions. So yeah, I mean, I would say that that centre back is very important in Sorry's system. I, I can see that that would that would be why Rigani is being being targeted because. As I said, sort of the ability to play out from the back that, that Rugani can do, I think that's incredibly important. And same with Jorginho, that number six role, that holding midfield, that register, that deep line playmaker yeah. role, that was also one of the incredibly important roles. And I think, you know, by getting Jorginho, that, that was a very big problem solved. If you yeah. get the centre back in, and then, you know, you're, you're just looking at kind of hopefully bringing in other players elsewhere. But hopefully, you know, as I said, it's, it's a it's a, a move to, to rekindle Rugani's kind of potential. It's, it's very obvious, but maybe just isn't a right fit at Juventus. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, if we continue moving forward, uh, we have Marcus Alonso and we have Zappa Costa. We don't need to spend too much time on this, especially with Zappa Costa. In my opinion, he's our third uh, choice right back. I think Cesar Espelagueta is going to fit right in there and maybe him and Victor Moses battle it out. Um, I just, I see Zappa Costa and I see go fast like that's <laughs> we're just going fast here like you know like and that's not a bad thing but i just i one one idea that that um that came while i was watching the game on monday i was just like all right um I, I just don't think we're at the point where we you're you're if you're in the starting 11 your main thing that you bring to the table is hustle and you know working hard I think we, we're above that, and we and, and yeah. we need players that bring something else in addition to. And if you're going to bring hustle and working hard to the team, you better be in Golo Kante level where you are undeniable. And right now, uh, he's the only one. Uh, outside of that, if that's the only thing you can bring to the, but you're not even the best one on our team to do that, then 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 we need to find somebody else. And I think that's Zapacasta. Nothing against the guy. Uh, I, I just think I, I don't see anything more. And, you know, then again, I'm not no expert. So but Marcus Alonso, um, I just feel like Emerson brings more to the table, uh, especially, you know, that that first run that he did that, he you know, in, in the second half when he came on and he came into the inside of the box, he, he shifted it around. And I think he went around like two or three players for a cross. It might. Right, you you know the play I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think that that to, that told me personally everything that I needed to know on who should be starting on, on our left back. Um, I just felt like Marcus Alonso wasn't pushing forward hard enough, and just the idea of having two offensive guys um riding the touchline between Eden Hazard and and Emerson, I think that's going to be deadly. So. I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Joe? Like your opinions on that? Like, you know, do, are they different? Are they the same? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think the, the the only real interesting in thing tonight, probably at this point with with the fullbacks, is is just the balance of a typical sorry team. So, for those who maybe are not that familiar with Napoli, Napoli were a very left hand dominant team in in most, if well, a significant majority of their attacks went down the left hand side. So. You know, looking at Eden Hazard, potentially having a very attacking left back as well. Um, so I think in terms of the right hand side, I would say Aspilicueta is, is probably is probably got that position locked up as, as as a right back. The right back was a little bit more stable, a little bit more um, of, of a supporting role rather than a kind of creative attacking outlet. So 
from from my perspective, I think Aspian and could be backed up by by any number of players. I think that we yeah. have. I think Zappacosta actually yesterday was was probably better than than he was last season playing as a just traditional right back. But I do agree with you that there is a that there, there is kind of a one speed yeah. <laughs> with him. Um, he's fast he, as hell, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. He's he's incredibly fast. It's just it's whether he has the. I suppose it, it's the patience and, and the ability to sort of do that combination play that's probably expected of yeah. fullbacks to support and offer outlets, whether that's going to be something that he's he's comfortable with. I, I have no problems with him sort of galloping up and down the right. I think that that's something that he can he can do pretty well. But, yeah, I mean, whether he's going to be the first choice, I'm not too sure. And I, no, I think on yeah. the left-back side, it's going to be interesting because, yeah. you know, I was quite sold, and I think that Emerson Palmieri would, would probably be the player that, that uh, Sari likes for that particular position. But, you know, Marcus Alonso had an OK game yesterday. I still think that if we're, we're talking about top-level competition, that having him as a as a left-back and not a left-wing-back is going to be very problematic, I think, defensively. And, and also just from an athletic standpoint, that, you know, there were times last season that even when he was defending uh, less space, when he, you know, he as a wing-back, you, you defend less space than you would with a as a traditional fullback that he was getting roasted far too many times by, by not particularly good players, just players who are, who are known for, for being pacey. So that, that would be my, my major concern with, with Alonso is just that defensively that, that I feel he, he will get exposed playing left back, not against everyone, but I think when you play against teams that have pace and, and some of the better teams that we play against, you know, I'm thinking of potentially having Mohamed Salah one-on-one with him often is going to be quite problematic yeah. for him. So yeah, I mean, for for me, yeah, I mean, it, it would be a problem area. I think maybe you can get away with him or, or Palmieri. I don't think Palmieri had a fantastic game. I'm, I'm hopeful that that's just due to, to ring rust rather than anything else. But be interesting to see who Sorry considers to be his first choice because um, they will be someone who is expected to provide Eden Hazard with an overlap, with an underlap, to be an outlet for Hazard to, to bounce the ball off of, to, to use quite extensively. And I think we saw last season... There were a number of occasions where Hazard had the ball and and Alonso was was 30, 40 yards behind him, and I don't think that that's yeah. something that we're gonna we're gonna see this season. I think there there will be an expectation on that that left back, that left fullback, to be almost parallel with him at all times, always offering an attacking option. So that will be quite interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that the fullback area is is a concern. I think you know Aspilicueta, if he's asked to do his support role, will be fine. I don't think he's the greatest attacking fullback that I've ever seen, but from a defensive standpoint, he's definitely good enough. I just think that the left back area is is something that's going to be interesting to watch over the next few weeks. Now, now is the left hand's dominance in the sorry system is that by design or just because it is what it is, and that's the he's just the teams that he's had have been left side dominant, or or do we know? Um, I think part, partially I would say it's it's due to the players that they've had, like his okay. left-hand side. Typically, the players were a lot more attacking. But I would say again that that's something that that is is pretty um, pretty similar to to how Chelsea gets set up. And again, I think it's it's a it's a product of Jorginho being a right-footed okay. player. Often, you it's quite easy for you to, to to play the ball to the left-hand side than it is to open up your body and, and play the ball to the right-hand side. So. There's also that aspect as well, but I mean, I, I think again, it's it's just a virtue of the players that he has. But I would imagine that, that because we have Eden Hazard, because that left-hand side probably is going to be a little bit more, probably more potent for us. To, again, the, the kind of patterns of play, that the design of the team will again be trying to sort of filter the ball to the left-hand side as well. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on to the midfield, which for me um, is the most interesting piece of this team on the way we set up in our starting 11. I mean, yes, Eden Hazard, um, you and I can be talking for weeks, days, months, years on how special Eden Hazard is. But I think what Eden Hazard, his situation right now, I think a lot of it um, it's kind of like there's a lot of more interest on what's happening outside of the of the lines as opposed to inside of the lines um but the midfield for me there there seems to be like like damn like the midfield is so interesting right now um one thing that i noticed yesterday and again is this by design or this is just because of yesterday of month i keep saying yesterday but it's monday monday um i noticed that Jorginho no matter where the ball was, whether it went out to the sides, to the middle, he was constantly facing the ball as opposed to being side, like, you know, sideways to the ball. He was constantly like it, it, it no matter where it went, he was always following the ball and, and provide in there for an outlet. Is that is that part of the sorry system? That's the design, correct? The position that he plays. Yeah, so I mean, his his role in in the team is, is effectively to to always be open to receive the pass. And again, you're talking about having your kind of shoulders square to the ball at all times, rather than sort of playing kind of on the half turn as well. And I mean, it's primarily due to Jorginho's skill set, his ability okay. to to play one and two touch, and and you know the the, the cliched term in football is is having pictures. So he always has this this kind of picture of what's going on behind him. So if the ball comes to him, he, he can play the ball around the corner easily because he, he already knows kind of what's going on there. Equally, I think you'll find again, you know, that as the season progresses, his ability to take the ball square, but then actually direct it kind of in any direction that he needs the ball to go, whether that's, you know, directly behind him, touch it in front of him, play it to the side and then play a pass. His ability to just do that, that two touch stuff so simply and make it look so straightforward. It actually allows him to, to face the ball a lot off. And I think again, when you're, when you're a defender, when you're a midfielder, when you've got someone who is always kind of facing you and stuff like that, then it's it's kind of a subconscious thing to let you know that they're kind of always open for the pass. And that, that's really his role. His role is to be constantly available to receive the ball, constantly there to, to shift the point of attack, to play that pass. And it, it's, it's really, I think, just a, a skill set that Jorginho has. Not many players that are able to to constantly play um, in, in yeah, I said completely facing the ball because they don't have the, the sort of vision and the ability to kind of see the, the bigger picture. But it's a, it's a pretty unique skill. And I think it's it's something that as the season progresses, we will likely see Jorginho um, playing a lot of these passes around the corner, playing a lot of this two-touch stuff. You know, he likes to roll the ball across his body. There's loads of things that he does when he receives the ball, but it's, it's quite a unique thing to him. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely saw it, and I, so it's a, it's the two things meeting together, I would imagine. So it's Jorginho's skill set matched with Sari's system creates the perfect situation where he can constantly face the ball, meet the ball, and then turn and direct it or give it back. I saw, I saw that. I guess that's why that would then make sense why he had so many. He has the top ten record or the top nine most passes in a game. Um and why he had so many? What was it in like forty five minutes, fifty minutes? He had like a hundred and something passes. What was it? Something crazy yeah. like that? Yeah. So he he I think he attempted one hundred and one passes and he completed ninety eight in forty five minutes, which is is ridiculous. And, and yeah. I think the New York stat is they have I think been tracking data in in Serie A from two thousand and four. I think he 
he owns nine out of the ten passing records. I think the other one is Andrea Perlo, just for context. So, you know, he is by any stretch of the imagination one of the uh, one of the best passers of the football in world football. And to to go slightly back to the the sort of statistics stuff, there is a a statistic, an advanced statistic, uh, passing ability by the guys at Statsbomb who who actually do some some pretty interesting stuff with data. And I think when you look at his style of passing, you can kind of you can tell quite obviously he's a very good passer, but when they actually look at this metric and trying to sort of judge how good someone was passing this, it's like how complex their passes is, how forward, you know, how many times they pass forward, how much do they pass into attacking areas, the, the closer the pass is to the goal, the more difficult it is. There's loads of things that factor into play. And Jorginho in, in his position is, is is a top five player in the world, and they looked at 22,000 players. So he's quite crazy. Yes, he's special. Big, exactly, yeah. He's a very special passer of the football, though. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's... That's he he yesterday and, and 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 honestly it was on the second go around of watching the game where I'm like hey wait a minute I'm noticing that he's he's always constantly the ball would go to the right and he's going all the way to the right waiting for the ball and it was almost always parallel never far too far always kind of close by whoever had the ball now it is it, something that his play I feel like I'm gonna be watching so much this season on what he's doing what is he constantly doing all right so again in the midfield yet on yesterday i did it again i did it again joe i said yesterday monday we had fabregas and ross barkley in the midfield out of those two guys which is the angolo Conte position out of those two guys so it's probably the the area that fabregas was playing in okay i think i wouldn't expect but we can't expect Conte to do Fabregas' yeah. job. Yeah, I figured. No, I mean, I don't think that you'll... I don't even think you'll see necessarily them, them paired up in the same team too often. Okay. Um, I mean, it's typical that the kind of structure of the, the Sari midfield, you have Jorginho at the back, you have kind of more of a box-to-box player sort of to the right-hand side, so the right central midfield role will probably be Kante. And then the left central midfield role has a little bit more freedom to get forward to, to as I said, with this sort of left-hand side dominance. You know, the ability to probably link up with someone like Hazard and to break into the box and be a little bit more of an attack-minded player um, will exist there. So I think that you're probably going to see potentially, um, you know, sort of uh, Jorginho, Kante, plus one. And I think the plus one will be probably either someone that we're going to sign, obviously link with, with Golovin, um, could be could be Ruben Loftus-Cheek, could be Ross Barkley. So I think that's potentially where you'll see those players fit, that they're... The box-to-box role, the the sort of number, I suppose you'd call it a number eight role in the midfield, um, feels like it, it's it's almost inevitably going to be linked to to Kante. So yeah, yeah, I mean that that would be. I would imagine kind of where Seth Fabregas was playing yesterday. I mean, obviously the the two styles would be incredibly different when they play there, but that would be the the sort of areas that, that Kante will be in. Yeah, and when you and when again, like a lot of the a lot of names, like I understand box to box. That's the part of the midfield. So. Conte's so so if I'm 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 breaking this down and, and putting it in layman's terms, so Jorginho's role is to constantly and, and and stop me if I'm wrong. Jorginho's role is to be the outlet, is to be the quarterback of 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 the uh, of the system. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably if we're looking for a comparison, I'd say he's probably more of a of a point guard. Point so, guard. Whereas maybe, he maybe starts the game. Yeah, he, he is the, the catalyst for the entire game. So he is the, the main distributor of the ball. 
I think again, you know, he 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 will look for that strike pass and sort of the the kind of the the, the quarterback pass as well. But I think he's more kind of a classic kind of point guard distributor at the back. So his his role is to is to get the ball to to shift it left to right to play you know play attacking passes, but to to basically stretch the opposition with his ability to to manipulate the ball. But but that is his his role kind of as a distributor as the number six. Okay, and then. And then we saw it yesterday too. There was some he he made a few, he made a bunch of passes, not a bunch, a few passes to Morata up the field. He definitely hit um, Hudson Adoy, call him Hudson Adoy on the left. So he had a bunch of uh, offensive passes. Now all of his passes are not uh, you know possession based passes. They're offensive passes. So then we move to Kante. Kante's role is the is the you know the destroyer of their offense the protector of our defense in box to box he has the license to go uh from the top of the box um on our end to the top of the box on their end free roam doing whatever he wants to protect our to protect the ball am i right there yeah exactly yeah. okay yeah, yeah okay so, i mean the the role i suppose the, the the comparison would be to the the guy called alan at napoli um, but I think in terms of Kante, you know, his his major role within this team will be to to press, will be to recover the ball. So really, kind of playing to his his strengths. And I think again, one of the interesting things we'll see. I mean, one of my the only real criticism that you can you can kind of make of Kante is that when he gets into the final third, he's not necessarily the most comfortable player. I don't think necessarily that he has that kind of level of passing or, or craft or or skill maybe that the other kind of players who who maybe don't have his his defensive kind of qualities but maybe a little yeah. bit more comfortable in the final third. So I think for me it will be very interesting to see how Sari can develop that because if if Kante can add even say one or two kind of different variations of passing, if he can add a little bit more going forward, you know, you're talking about going from probably being probably the best defensive player um, don't say probably. Don't say probably. Well, yeah, I mean, it, don't it, say it, probably. Depends, depends who you are. So, I mean, for me, <laughs> I think he's, I think he's, he's the best. I'm not going to say defensive midfielder as, as a position, but but a, a midfielder who can defend. He's 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 clearly the best person to to kind of do that sort of activity in the world. Yeah. If you can add, if you can add five ten percent to his game in the final third, and I think in this box to box role, he's going to have freedom to to get forward. And I think you're moving him from being in the defensive conversation to just being, you know, is he the best all-round midfielder in yeah. world football? And I think he's he's very much in the conversation now. But I think if you can add, um, you know, he does he does have stuff. We saw the goal he scored against Manchester United a few seasons ago. There is there is something there. I just think that he he needs uh, a coach who's going to let him have a little bit more freedom. Um, who can coach him again? Who can kind of try and maybe sort of expand some of that creativity? But then, you know, with, with him and Jorginho, I mean, already without even adding anything to Kante, that is an incredibly, uh, yeah. incredibly important upgrade in midfield from last season. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've I've noticed with Kante when he gets into the final third, he's kind of always there just to move the ball along, to help it along in the offense. He's never really there to provide the you know, final pass he, or or take the shot himself. I mean, he's done it against Manchester United, but he's always he's always. I, I feel like he's just helping, helping there. Like he's not necessarily a part of. He's just there facilitating, making sure that it stays in the final third. Which brings me to the to the to the, to the next midfielder, uh, 
I guess this midfielder, if we want to categorize this, he would be part of the he would be the offensive midfielder, um, which was Ross Barkley, who I don't know how you felt. I thought then again, maybe it was because I hadn't seen him in a long time. Um, I thought he had a great game. I thought he 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 definitely for me showed me something that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe he can be something. Maybe he can be the guy, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with Barkley, I mean, there's there's always been like a, a talent level there. I mean, my my questions with him is is, is whether I, I think what we're seeing now, I think this is this the is best. his level. I mean, I'm not sure if he's going to be, you know, significantly improving over the next few years. I think he was just one of those young players who who burst onto the scene at Everton, and I don't think ever really kind of reached the heights that people maybe expected of okay. him. But I would say that having him fit, having him as an option in the team. I think he's, he's, you know, he's got potential to be, be a very, very useful player. I mean, the, the, the one knock of, of Barkley throughout his career has always just been that he, he lacks the, the kind of football IQ to, to really take on sort of complex instructions. And, and whether playing in this sort of left central midfield role frees him up a little bit from some of the thinking that he does. Maybe he, he overthinks things or, or potentially just, just gets confused with, with what he's being asked to do at times. So I think if you can alleviate some of that decision making, if you can give him some freedom, that, that, that definitely is is a is a player worth having around the Chelsea squad. Whether he's going to be a starter or, or not, I'm not too sure. But I, th- I think from yesterday, probably. I mean, again, you know, we, we caveat this with that it was a pre-season game at the level of opposition wasn't fantastic, but it was just nice to see him looking confident after injury. Nice to yes. see him, yes. him, him actually looking like a, a fairly useful footballer again. So. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he has potential. Obviously, he's English. So I, I don't think that there's going to be any question that we're going to sell him. Um, but it's just a question, really, of of, of what kind of... Uh, I mean, he, he potentially also could, could do the Kante role, I think. Um, you think? Of, yeah, I think that he, he could. He'd be a little bit more attacking, but I think that that would be somewhere also um, that potentially you could you could put him in there. I mean, again, this, this Alan guy at Napoli didn't have Kante's defensive skill set, but he was uh-huh. a bit more forward-thinking. And I think Barkley, you know, he's got a very powerful frame. He's got a good engine. You know, um, I think he's got the capacity to, to play box to box. So he also could, could figure in there as well. So I think he, he offers you a lot of options. Um, I know Sari tried him out kind of as one of the wide men, but I, I think that that probably is, is something that, that we shouldn't see going forward. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see, really, I suppose, the, the, the direction he's going to take. But for me, he's definitely a useful squad member, and I think he, he did his chances no, uh, no harm yes, or, yeah, on, uh, on Monday. Yeah. Now, would you, I mean, does he deserve that role over Ruben? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Dr. Cheek. I mean, I think that actually that, that left central midfield role is, is probably the ideal role for him as, as a player. Um, there are, you know, again, I'll be, be the first to admit, there are some, some tactical deficiencies. There are some off-the-ball deficiencies with, with Dr. Cheek that he needs to address. But if you're looking at kind of the, the sort of raw skills and, and the kind of coaching acumen of, of Sarri, he could be the coach that finally puts all of these pieces together because, you know, a lot of uh, Ruben's best stuff at Palace last season, okay, he was playing sort of wide left on a, in a midfield four, but the kind of areas that he was picking the ball, the areas that he's most dangerous is, is, is almost that, that kind of inside left channel, that sort of half space. And for those who are sort of uh, unfamiliar with the term, it's effectively, if you, if you look at a, a penalty box, it's the area where the D kind of joins to the, the sort of the... The, the corner of the penalty area is typically what you would say is, is kind of the, the half space in, in a football pitch. So you've got kind of the wide area, which is wider than the penalty area. 
um, and the half space is, is typically kind of edge of the penalty area towards the kind of the, the first point of where that D is on the edge of the area. So that's typically where Ruben's best work is. And I, again, I think he he has the the technical ability, the the ability to play one and two touch. He's got the 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 the, the general the, the skills that I think Sorry would really enjoy working with. And I think again the the major advantage that he has compared to maybe Barkley or others is that he he has the ability to carry the ball over large distances. And there aren't many players who can pick the ball up on the halfway line and, and carry it all the way to the edge of penalty area with people bouncing off of them and still you know manage to play a good pass at the end. So yeah, I mean, again, I think if we're looking at potential, I think Ruben potentially has the best skill set to use there for Suarez. And it would just be a question of of the off the ball kind of stuff that, that you know, he does need to work and he needs to, he needs to get better in terms of his, his pressing. He needs to get better in terms of his, his, his sort of tactical awareness and, and knowing when to do, do things off the ball. But I think in terms of Sari's coaching, you know, you just look at players. Even Jorginho was, was a bit part player before before Sari took him over. So yeah. if you're looking at, at his ability to coach up players, I think Ruben's kind of raw skill set is there for someone to mould into something that could be potentially incredibly uh, incredibly powerful. So yeah, yeah. Uh, for me personally, I, I would love to see him take that position. Yeah, yeah. So do I. I, I feel like I mean, I, I feel this way for all of our players. Um, I want I want what's best for the team. So if for example, I, I know this sounds blasphemous, but if there's a player better than Eden Hazard that is available for our team, I want that guy. As good as Eden Hazard is, I want that guy. Nobody is safe. I want improvements everywhere. If there's somebody that's working in the office that's not giving their best and it's not the best for that position, I want them gone and I want somebody else. Same thing with the stewards. I want our team to be excellent from the bottom all the way up to the top. Excellent. So, but when it comes to Ruben, having said that, when it comes to Ruben, I just feel like I, I wish he was finally in a position where a manager sat him down and said, this position is yours to lose. You are the starter. And we are going to bring in competition but it's your position to lose. And I, I just feel like he's never had that talk. I could be wrong because obviously I'm not in the room. But I just feel like he's always been looked at as a possibility instead of the guy. And man, if there was ever a time that he could be the guy, it's now. But, I mean, we have our links with Gullivan. Um, what do you think about that? Like, I... I, I my experience, you know, full disclosure, my experience with CSK Moscow is they're a four-star team in FIFA, four-and-a-half-star team in FIFA, and that I used – that was like my dark horse team that I would pick for years when they had Wagner Love, when they have uh, Musa, when they had uh, uh, um, Kazuki Honda. That, like, that is my experience with CSK Moscow. So going into the World Cup, we have, you know – this talk of Gullivan, I had no experience with him. Um, and what I saw from the World Cup, I, I'm like, dude, this guy can play. This guy can absolutely play. Um, so the question is, is he better than Ruben? Um, or I shouldn't even say better. Does he fill this role better than what we already have? So we don't have to spend that money. Oh, um, I mean, I, I think I think Golovin is, is an incredibly good 
player. Um, he reminds me very much of of Oscar when Oscar played well. I mean, when, when Oscar played well, he was yeah. he was a really on fire, really talented player. You know, but there, there weren't enough occasions when he was he'd be very inconsistent with his form. So I, I think Godwin does remind me of, of that type of player. I think the, the thing that he has that Ruben doesn't have is that his his defensive work rate is is incredible. You know, it's it's yeah. not. He's not flying. Well, actually, he does fly into tackles, but he his ability to to press and harry and and harass players is 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 in a completely different lead to to Hazard. And I think that, that sorry to to Ruben Loftus Cheek. And yeah. I think potentially for at least for the for the early part of the season that that is something that 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 Golovin will have that Ruben certainly doesn't have is just that that ability to, to to do that kind of work off the ball. I think if you're looking at them on the ball, I think Ruben is is a more direct threat. He's a better dribbler. He's more he has a more of a, an ability to drive with the ball, and and uh, you know he's I, I think probably slightly better um, in in terms of like receiving the ball in tight areas and, and playing in 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 kind of triangles and that sort of stuff. But I think Golovin probably would be a really really excellent addition to the to the squad if we can manage to get him. I think that they would probably rotate quite a bit. I mean, again, yeah. it's kind of up to Ruben at this point. I think if he comes in and, and he's he's you no, know, he's given an opportunity to, to play. I think that he he will receive the coaching from Sari, and and if he can just add these these elements to his game, then I, I think he starts. I think that that's just a question. So it's kind of sort of on him in in many respects. But if he can add those elements to his game, I think he will probably play ahead of Golovin. But I think at the moment, if you're looking at who is the Who's the player that has the skill set that currently fits what that position will, will need? Because although um, I forget the guy's name, Marek Hamzik, uh, he was mm-hmm, uh, incredibly mm-hmm. attacking player. You know, he his work rate and his his ability to to press and chase and, and be a, a be a focal point for the midfield was was also something that, that was there. So I think in, if we're being if we're being completely sort of transparent about it, then Gordon probably at this point has that that Ruben doesn't. I think maybe it kind of depends how important that aspect is. Of, of that role requires the the level of pressing and defensive work that, that Golovin can do. Um, again, I mean, personally, I, w- I would like to see Loftus-Cheek, as you say, given kind of the, the reassurances that it, it's sort of his position to lose. Um, because, again, I think we see with, with Ruben is, is when he gets a run of games together, I mean, look, you look at sort of his, his form for Palace at the end of last season when he was finally getting the ability to put together games. Now he is a he's a Rolls Royce of a footballer. He is a tank. <laughs> he, he, you know, he's huge. Tackle, you know, he's he's you know someone that big shouldn't be able to move that that well. You know, his feet are fantastic. His his technique is fantastic. You know, he's quite unfortunate he played for Palace, and you know I think he he created quite a lot of chances. You know that, that weren't finished as well. So I mean he's he's got that creative outlet as well. So yeah, I mean I, I would like to see that happen, but I mean I think at the moment if if Golovin does come to Chelsea, I mean at the moment it looks as if it's us or Monaco and he's sort of making yeah. a decision on that. Then I, I would imagine that he starts, and then it's it's obviously up to Ruben to try and try and take that position back eventually. Yeah, yeah. I mean Ruben reminds me of, I mean comparing it to um, NFL players, Ruben reminds me of like a not not a small slot wide receiver he reminds me of just a wide receiver a big one like a calvin johnson calvin like johnson, a larry, yeah. like yeah. a larry fitzgerald yeah. big guy um Andre you know, johnson is the comparison i like yeah uh well a funny thing is um i've i've met andre i've met andre johnson twice and andre johnson's a very very big guy he's not I'm depending on my shoes. I'm right around six foot, right around there. 
So Andre Andre Johnson and I are pretty much eye to eye, but what he is, um, he's just like solid. Like you know, like he doesn't look he doesn't look small. Uh, funny. All right, all right. Here we go. Secret time, everybody. Here we go. So funny, uh, funny story about Andre Johnson. So I go to the club, South Beach. All right, everybody. We can't talk about football all the time. All right, here we go. So I go to the club, South Beach. I'm inside the club, and in this club, it was Club, club Dream. The the VIP, if you can imagine, it's uh just a floor, and then it's not like Club Live, where you see the VIPs on the second floor. Club Live is the best club I've ever been to in my life. I've been to a bunch of clubs. Club Live is the best. But Dream's VIP is a dance floor, and if you can imagine a U-shaped couch area um, where that's the VIP. So – I'm on just the outside of VIP, but I imagine I'm behind the couch. Andre Johnson's inside, and he's, he's like four or five people. They're inside the VIP, and the only way you could tell that they are anybody, one, I know who Andre Johnson looks like. I've met him before. They all had enormous gold rope chains, right? Jeans and a t-shirt, gold rope chains. Yeah. <laughs> so, right? So I'm just there. I'm here dancing, whatever, chilling, chilling, chilling. All of a sudden, a group of five girls, they're walking past, they're walking in front of me. They see these group of guys with gold rope chains and all <laughs> they start twerking. They point, they point themselves, they point their asses facing this group of guys that who have their backs facing to them. They start pointing their asses and they're twerking. They're Joe, no bullshit. Easily, easily an hour. Just and I know exactly what they were thinking. Like, please God, let one of these dudes turn around and change my life. Please, dude, Joe. I had to give them a round of applause at the end because they tried their hardest to get their attention for an hour. Shaking Joe, can dude stand up right now and just start shaking your ass nonstop. For one whole hour. That's what these girls were doing. Unsuccessful. I'm sure he's never. He didn't even know. Or that wasn't even the first time that's happened. But that ha- I saw it with my own eyes. The life of a football player. Alright. That's my story. Alright. So. Leaving Ruben. Leaving the midfield. I think we. And, and, and I think with the players that we have. On our. On our midfield, you have Cesc Fabregas. Cesc Fabregas provides an option. Even at 700 years old, he's still a viable option. The man, you know, do we need him to defend? Yeah, you got to defend a little bit. But he doesn't have to. In this in this um, position, the Regista position, with Jorginho, he can do the Jorginho role where he's, you know, providing an outlet. And I think he's kind of, he's, he's kind of always done that, you know. Uh, no, well, last year, not like the, our title winning season, he had to he had to actually defend a little bit more. He was in, uh, involved in a lot of the midfield too with with Kante, and he was asked to defend more. I think that's why, like towards the end of the Roma game, that we got killed on one of the goals because Fabregas towards the end of the game couldn't run anymore. But he could definitely provide the Jorginho role where he has still the legs and the pace for it. So. Now, there's a dude that I was specifically asked on Twitter to ask you about, and that is our right-hand side, the winger, Leon Bailey. 
what what do you I mean, yes, we have William in our in our transfer rumors. We don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. If you're looking for Joe to tell you what exactly is gonna happen Joe, can can you tell us what exactly is gonna happen with William? Or no? <laughs> uh I mean I, I think the the general consensus or the general opinion is, is that there is there's definitely interest from Chelsea in signing Anthony Martial. It has been for for a number of weeks now, um, Chelsea have, have been in contact with, with Martial's representatives and they're talking about potentially bringing him in. Jose Mourinho is a, a very big admirer of William and, and equally, again, has been for a very long time. So I think even now still that there are, there are links that Barcelona would still want to persist um, in trying to sign, trying to sign William. So I think the, the Even still, the, after with the Malcolm signing, they still want to yeah. sign? Yeah, there, there, there were talks about still potentially looking to, to sign him. So, I mean, if, if I'm if I'm Chelsea, then the I mean, I, I'm not a, a huge William fan. I, I can appreciate Neither he's been a very good servant in the club, but I, I think that you know, with his age and with with other players on the horizon that, that Chelsea potentially could go for, I think that it would be a good time to, to cash in to move and on, go in a slight yeah. direction. So. I mean, there are, there are a number of possibilities. You you kind of send him to Manchester United and you ask for kind of Anthony Martial and you work out whatever the difference is financially there. If I'm looking at Barcelona, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm maybe trying to grab it with some Dembele from them. Yep. I don't think necessarily that Barcelona is the right fit for him. I think at Chelsea, you know, he would he would probably do incredibly well from that, that right-hand side. And if you think you have uh, Hazard and, and Dembele, you know, kind of on the wings, all of a sudden you've got some real, real kind of... Uh, I mean that that's a real world class pair in there in terms yeah. of in terms of prep. The other option again, you know, I have been an incredibly big fan of Leon Bailey for probably about two years now. Um, I think this is a guy who you know, is is absolutely electric in terms of what he offers on the ball. He's again he's another very unique player in that that for a, a winger these days a lot of it is is what they do in the final third. But with with Bailey, you know, his ability to actually again take the ball from from kind of you know far sort of distances away from goal and, and beat players and, and carry the ball large distances is is quite unique in that respect and again you know you've got a a left footed player playing on the right hand side that ability to cut in and I think he's, mm-hmm. he's more direct than than Hazard I think he's he's more of a goal threat um, probably also has the ability to play sort of down the middle if you would need him to as well so I mean again I think if, if Chelsea were just to straight up to sell William and this kind of part exchange deal with with Barcelona or, or with Manchester United wasn't to happen, then I mean I, I would personally go and give the, the the 65 million euros or whatever it is to to uh, buy a Leverkusen for for Bayern. Leon Bailey again, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean yeah. I, I think he is exceptionally talented, and again you're looking at at someone like that playing in a sorry team. The amount of chances that this guy's going to get, the amount of touches on the ball, it's his his ability to dribble, his his pace, his technique. He has everything that you would want from that kind of modern winger. So you know, I, I look at him as, as someone who I think would be incredibly, incredibly good to sign. I haven't seen too much linking with, linking us with him recently, and I've, I've not personally heard. Yeah, I haven't seen us, anything but, either. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's a question of whether Chelsea are interested at this point in time. So, I mean, of course, I mean, there was also a likelihood that William stays, you know, that, that Simon yeah. thinks that, that William has, has another season or two left in him in terms of what he wants him to do. So, it's also a possibility, but I mean, again, if you're talking about sort of preferences, um, I think I would say that, that if, if Chelsea could sell him to Barcelona and get Dembele in return, that for me would Jesus be, Christ. Uh, the, that would yeah, be, great. be the ideal scenario. Um, there, were, there were reports coming out this evening that I think after the Malcolm signing that 
that Dembele is a little bit frustrated, you know, that he's he's kind of being put with him, and obviously with William coming in, there's, there's far too much uh, competition. Exactly, yeah. yeah. At his position. Yeah, and then he was injured last season, so whether he feels that he had a, you know, like a fair crack of the whip. Um, I think he only played about 1,200 minutes last season, so I mean, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, a huge uh, uh, a number of minutes kind of either way. So I mean, yeah, he would be someone that I think we should potentially be looking at. And same with Martial as well. I think Martial again under a different manager. Do you um, think he can play the right wing, Anthony Martial? Mm, I mean, I, I'd be looking at maybe having him more of kind of a forward option. Um, I think that he. He himself probably sees himself as more of a centre forward or more of a, yeah. a, a kind of forward option. Um, whether we would deploy him on the right, I'm not too sure. But then, you know, I'm, I'm looking sort of internally at the squad, and then we don't have that much competition sort of a wide right at the moment. So it will be interesting to see um, see what, what the, again what the starting starting team looks like in, in the first game against Huddersfield. So yeah, I mean the potential. I mean if you're looking for a straight right winger, I think Leon Bailey or Dembele are probably the the guys to go for if Chelsea are trying to sort of in kind of engineer a move that, that nets them a, a kind of forward target and then the understanding is that Marshall wants to potentially leave to be a forward then 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 again that's also something that you would entertain but I don't know I mean I think at the moment Chelsea are, have done a pretty good job of driving the price up for, for William T to what's it 60 65 million euros or something like that at the moment so um, if, if Man United pay 70 for him, I, I think potentially that he'll go and Chelsea will try and get to reinvest that money elsewhere, either in a, a part exchange or just go and target someone who, who they feel can, can fulfill that role. Yeah. Now, I, I saw, I mean, it was at the beginning of the of the summer, end of May, where um, I saw the links right around the same time with uh, the, the Lewandowski links. And it was Lewandowski, Leon Bailey were, were the hot links to us, and then they've died out. I haven't I haven't seen anything recently um, as far as the outside, um, you know, reporting. It's generally our guys talking about the possibilities, but it hasn't been anybody on the on on the outside talking about the possibilities of bringing in Leon Bailey. Um, I did. I wanted. I specifically looked at De- Leon Bailey's stats, and I wanted to play a little bit of a devil's advocate with you here. Leon Bailey's statistics: he only scored nine goals last year. And he had uh, less than less than double digits uh, assists, very similar to Pedro and Williams numbers, uh, more or less. I think Pedro had the most game time out of all of them. And we obviously saw William was basically coming off the bench for us. But playing devil's advocate here, why are our two guys? You know, can't have because everybody talks about the same thing when it comes to sorry, the potential for goals. Why doesn't Pedro and William have the potential for goals that is that that we automatically and automatically assume that Leon Bailey is gonna have this same potential? We don't afford our guys that we currently have that same potential. Why why do we give it to Leon Bailey and just automatically assume that he's gonna score seven hundred goals when <laughs> our two guys and I, I say that term a lot. I say 700 for anything a lot to mean a lot. I don't know why. I don't know why. But why do we – our two guys already have the same – similar stats, comparable stats to Leon Bailey. What, what, what's, what is what, – what am I not seeing? What are the stats not, uh, not saying compared to Leon Bailey? I think first and foremost, it's the age. I mean, you have, I think, William and Pedro are probably, they've probably topped out in terms of, of their their kind of production. And I think William in particular, I don't think he's he's scored more than eight eight goals Period. in a season. 
Yeah, um, which which for someone who who has a great shot, for me is is a little bit head scratching in terms of. I mean, also partly you know I think he does get a bit of an unfair rap when Chelsea bought him. He was a a right footed player who cut in from the left and shot a lot, whereas you know Eden Hazard obviously has that role now down at Chelsea and, and, and becoming more of a traditional kind of right foot, right hand side player is, is difficult when your entire game is based on cutting inside and shooting. So I think in that respect, you know, his, his numbers have always been a little bit misleading because, you know, he's his main aspect of his game, the main reason that we bought him, you know, is not something that he's ever really been able to 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 sort of, you know, play quite freely at Chelsea. So I mean there is that aspect, but I mean I, I think his production in general, if you particularly if you take that sort of set pieces is is not that fantastic. And, I mean, Pedro again. I would say the same. Uh, his goals tend to come in clusters. I mean, they, they tend to come against the the West Broms and the Stokes and, and and the teams that maybe you would you would expect probably any kind of decent player to sort of notch goals in. But I, I think it, it comes back to just upside. You know, I mean, Bailey is is 20 years old. I think Pedro and and, and William are either late 20s or in their 30s now. So you've got a kind of 10 year gap and. I think again, you're 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 kind of buying into the the potential of what someone like Bailey can do. I mean, he is. I think uh, if you look at sort of his his entire career at um, trying to think of Leverkusen in particular, which I'll have a quick look at his uh, his stats. He's um, yeah. I mean, the, the the his entire career in total, I mean, his actual goals, it's not too not too sad. I mean, he's only had uh, two seasons in the in the Bundesliga. I think he played a bit of Champions League as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know he's got nearly double digits, so 12 goals and I think seven assists in just under 2,700 minutes, which is actually not bad. So 19 in total. So I mean his, his kind of raw numbers aren't too bad. Um, but I think you're, you're you're really buying into the the, the each, potential, the potential. Could be in a system that that will allow him to to attack more, to to be more involved in the game, to have more touches of the ball. Um, whether he he goes on to become a player who scores. Um, I don't know, let's say 15, 20 goals a season. I'm, I'm not too sure, but I think again, you know, it's this, this, this potential. And I, I would also say as well, if you, if you watch him play, his, his kind of, his, his importance to that, to how well Leverkusen, how, how well Leverkusen play, it, it, it's, it's, it's completely intrinsic to their entire system, how, how well Bailey plays. And it's kind of a little bit like Hazard is sometimes, I think. The kind of raw numbers don't necessarily reflect how influential he's been in the game. I think that kind of also applies to Bailey quite a bit in that he, you know, sometimes I think if you're looking just at his goals and assist numbers, you're thinking, yeah, okay, it's, it's promising for someone of his age, but you know, it's not, it's not Neymar, it's not one of these sort of superstar players, and I think that that's quite a fair thing to point out. Um, but I, I would also say that in terms of how well Leverkusen do, typically. You know, Leon Bailey is is the, one of the main, if not the, the main kind of attacking fulcrum of, of that side, and that a lot of the game goes through him. He does he does create a lot of chances. He does he does uh, he he does draw players up position. He, do, he does lots of things that you would want from a winger. Um, and again, you know, at 20 years of age, yeah. I think that the scope for him to to improve as he kind of moves towards the middle part of his 20s is pretty significant. There's a lot of underlying talent there, which I think could be harnessed. Um, by by someone like Sari, and I think again that's partly why people maybe afford him and and other players sort of a little bit more um, credence in terms of their suitability to Sari, because um, you know Pedro has played in a tiki taka system before, so maybe he he has a bit of experience. But we're talking about players now that are maybe kind of uh, at their at their peak or just a little bit past their peak, and, and whether they're going to be able to sustain that over the next two three seasons. 
as opposed to just going and maybe trying to buy Bailey for the next five years and, and seeing what he can do. So I think yeah. it, it comes down to potential. I think it comes down to maybe looking at what Pedro and William have done for the past maybe four or five seasons and maybe not expecting them to, to be able to rekindle some of the form that they showed earlier in their careers. But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one of these things where you, you know, the grass is always green on the other side. You always look at the, the fancy new shiny toy that you can buy <laughs> rather than looking sort of internally at what you have. So there is definitely a question of, of, of kind of bias in terms of looking at players externally. But I think in Bailey's case, I think it, it's probably partially justified. And I do think that he would, uh, he would be a fantastic player in the Premier League just purely because of his, his uh, combination of, of, of technique and, and his sort of athleticism as well. Yeah, I I figured any and you know and it's it's almost saying the same thing to this next guy that I'm gonna mention how why I want to keep him. However, Monday I'm I'm not gonna lie, I was pissed off. Well, I'm talking about Alvaro Morata. I want to keep him. I, I, there's links to Iguain. I understand the potential of how Iguain can you know can play in a sorry system because of you know what he's already done. Within a sorry system, all the goals that he scored for Napoli. Um, but the dude's 30 years old. And we have a striker that's uh, Morata's 25, right? 24, 25? I think so, yeah. Sounds yeah. Right. So I, I, I want Morata on the team because of his youth and his potential. The same, almost the exact same things. Well, a little bit different because Leon Bailey was so important. I mean, if you watch. If you watch, uh, you know that that super secret scouting tool, which is called YouTube, on Leon Bailey, uh, you see that like he was a, you see highlights from him coming from the left, coming from the right, coming from the middle. Like the the dude can play, but Morata, like Joe, Morata, like okay, last year he had a back injury. That was the you know the, the the towards the end of the season the explanation the aha moment was like guys 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 he's good he just had a back injury that's why he played the way he played I have a back injury two slip disc on the bottom of my back I understand I sympathize with how bad your when your back goes it goes it sucks I get it Monday I wanted to see something different. And unless maybe I'm being too hard on him, maybe again my eyes are not what they should be. I don't have Joe's eyes. Joe has scouting badges. Joe has coaching badges. Joe, with your expertise, what did you see from him? Are you on my side? Am I looking at this wrong? Help me here, please. I don't think so. No, I mean I, I've I mean, I've not been hugely impressed, you know, with his time at Chelsea, and, and you can make kind of all the the, the excuses and, and, and points you want to make about his his injuries, and I know that there was some personal stuff going on with him as well. But you know, to play against a level of opposition where I would expect him to be completely dominant, you know, he he, you know, to my knowledge now, he's not carrying any injuries. He's he's entirely healthy. Exactly. I think the performance we saw, you know, against Perth was was just incredibly reminiscent of, of what we saw for much of last season. And you know, there were the histrionics and, and the, the lack of physicality. I mean, Morata is, is a big guy. You know, he's you know he's incredibly tall. He's he's got a lot of strength, but his inability to, to yeah, exactly yeah, you know, he's he's a great athlete and he's his inability to, to hold the ball up and his his kind of desire to throw himself to the ground and to sort of collapse and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to sort of endear himself to, to Chelsea fans, the way that he's playing at the moment. And, 
you know, I mean, I, I think if you if you take away the fact that he was he's great in the air, I mean, I, I don't really look at him as as this sort of you know spearhead um, striker that's that's going to win you titles and and cups and trophies. I, I think he he is a a second second choice striker, and I think he plays like one. You know, you look at players that we've had like uh, Drogba and, and Costa. They have that kind of alpha mentality when exactly. they play. They are they are the forward. They are the guy. That they are the the main man. And with Morata, I just think that he's been he's been very fortunate to be a supporting man in some very good teams. And yeah, people were going about you know his his goals to minutes. You know his ratio of scoring was fantastic. But you know, I mean, I, I think I could score goals to Real Madrid in against some of the things <laughs> that they're playing. You know, it's, Joe it's says like he's a, a baller. A yeah, you know, I mean, I, I reckon I could score against 18 in Spain if I played for Real Madrid and just stood on the penalty spot. I mean, it's, you know, there, there are there are some things that, that people, you know, oh, he's got loads of goals. But, I mean, you look at the, the goals, you know, the teams that he was scoring against, okay, you know, he scored some, some big goals from Madrid, etc. But, I mean, the majority of his goal scoring is against, sort of, you know, kind of the lower sides in, in Spain. And I think all, all we're seeing, really, is a guy who... He lost confidence last season. You know, he lost a lot of confidence. I, I just don't think he's suited to Chelsea. I don't think he's suited to the Premier League. And, and I think it's just a case of sometimes just admitting that, that that's how it goes. You know, that, that yeah. you know, there, are, there are good players that come to the Premier League who don't settle. And they go, well, they go elsewhere and have fantastic careers. I'm just thinking, I look at Morata, I, I think that centre-backs can, can negate him far too easily. Um, and again, you know, the game is, you know, uh, Perth. I mean, it, the, the fact that he, he looked so just within himself in a game where I would expect he should him have to have balled scored. out. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you're looking at other players and pressing, you know, Ross Barkley and, and others who were maybe in similar situations in, in that they, they weren't fantastic last season or didn't get enough opportunities or chances. And yet, Morata was, was just, just looked like he was, it was any, any game from last season. So exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. I mean, for me personally, exactly. If it's a question of, of, of getting him out, um, you know, I would, I mean, I, I would happily, happily sell him to whoever would want him if we could get a good player in. But if the alternative is, is Higuarin, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy who I think is is, is 30 or, or, or in his 30s already. Yeah. I think his his goal scoring with Juventus has started to slow down a bit. His physical condition, you know, for for a professional footballer, I mean, there are there are kind of things that you would expect them to be in, in pretty good shape, and I think. Now, looking at him at Juventus, I don't think he could honestly say hand on heart that he's in the best condition. And you're going to drop a player like that into the Premier League, the most physical league in the world, the, the, the league with the, the, the quickest tempo, and you're, you're going to expect a 30-goal season striker. I, I don't, I don't see the logic. I mean, he may, he may come here and be fantastic, but I mean, just from a, from a logical standpoint, goals are slowing down, physical condition isn't fantastic, age isn't on his side. It's a new culture, new league, much quicker than Serie A, much more physical. You know, I, I don't see it being a superb fit. So it, it's kind of sort of the catch-22. Do you do you keep Morata around? Because if you say 25, there is something there. There, is, there are there are glimpses of a good player, but we haven't seen it consistently enough, if at all, really, you know, since he's been at Chelsea. So do you stick with him or do you, do you gamble on Hikawari, who by the looks of things is is not just going to be a, a £20 million player. You know, this is going to be exactly. someone that's going to seek a lot of money. And so... For me, if, if if Chelsea get rid of Morata, they, they they would have to look elsewhere in terms of in terms of forward options because I, I wouldn't be hugely comfortable or confident in, in Higuarin being this sort of superstar that we need. But equally, you know, I, I have very, very little confidence in, in Morata being that 
20 to 30 goal season striker and I think even in the case of, of Diego Costa you know his his 20 goals would be invariably he'd score maybe 16 really important goals you know it, he'd score the first goal in the game or he'd score the winning goal or he'd score the goal to get you back into a game with Morata you know it's it, you know most of his goals I think 25 30 percent of his goals were, were a hat-trick against Stoke you know, so, I mean, uh, and, he, and a game uh, where he should have had at, at five goals. He yeah, should have exactly. had five goals that game. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. The, the stats from last season, I yeah. think, you know, we're talking about stats. I think he missed 30 big chances last season, which I think Costa's, maybe Costa's worst in the season was nine or ten, just to put it in comparison. So, you know, there are there are definitely arguments to make that he's in position to score, but he just maybe just doesn't have the mentality or doesn't have the... Yeah. The, the level of, of ability to be a, a frontline striker. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, if, if, again, if, if there's potential to move more, great, fantastic, you know, th- th- thanks for last year, but maybe you just didn't fit here. But I would be very concerned about who uh, who Chelsea are being linked to, to to replace him at this moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I, I just... I just don't want to be, and we're here we are again. It feels like we've been repeating this saga, uh, this storyline, um, going back to the first time Drogba left after Champions League. Like, here we go again, another summer where we have doubts um, about our striker. When Diego came in, he, you know, his first season, he, he came in, he did awesome, but then the reports started surfacing that he wanted to go back to Madrid. And then it was that again. What are we going to do looking for another striker? Uh, you know, now with Morata coming in, again, same thing. What are we going to do with another striker? I think, well, didn't we, or the, the season, yeah, Diego came in after, the season after we had Eto and Fernando Torres as our strikers. Correct? Am I am I off on that one? Then, it, yeah, that was 13. Yeah, yeah 20, that was that was 13 yeah, and 14. 15 yeah, 15. First season, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what it is? It's it's that Morata is missing the Morata's the better athlete. Diego's not the be- better athlete than Morata, but Diego has the 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 you know, in sports and in 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 what you what you first said in sports is not about the numbers. It's not always about the numbers. The numbers exist outside of the uh, outside of the pitch or outside of the court, outside of the field, wherever you're playing. Numbers exist out there. But when you're on you have to look at the guy that has the different color shirt from you or is opposite of you and say, my man, my friend, there is not a goddamn thing that you can do to stop me. There's nothing you can do. And I just feel that I don't feel like Morata has that. Diego Costa had that. If you go back to if you listen to what Drogba said, why he took the final penalty there's a, a, a he said it he said it in 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 the video that they had leading for the Champions League of that season he said the leader the number one guy is either takes the first penalty kick or he takes the last yeah he either sets the tone as number one or he wins wins the pen you know wins the PKs at number five I don't think Morata has that he he doesn't he just doesn't look like that he has that within him and at 25 years old that is not something that you can start refining and manufacturing you have to have that from the jump so for me like i'm his biggest fan but something needs to needs to be happening from monday when's our next preseason game uh, i'm not sure actually no i mean i think it's i think it's quite soon um i think it's you've got we're playing nice i think someone over playing in Nice, just taking the land in nice i'm not sure what it is though okay well from the, the time they took off on monday 
and they're because I, they already left Australia. So yeah. the next preseason game, Morata needs to do some soul searching. He needs to dig down deep and say, "Fuck it, like it is what it is, and whatever happens, happens." Because he's either from this point on, he sets the tone for the rest of his career. The next, if he doesn't have it now with us playing at the highest level, he goes to his, the links to AC Milan. What over there magically? Now he's in Italy. Now he's gonna be a leader. Now he's gonna have that hunger, that fire in the field. It doesn't happen. It doesn't always happen like that. And I'm the biggest support Morata supporter, but I can only go so far. I'm like a Kanye West, you know, fan. I love you to death, but I cannot defend you anymore. So. <laughs> You know, and then yeah. so, and then now the final position, the left hand side. Um, the left hand side. We don't need to necessarily talk about Eden Hazard. He's either, ladies and gentlemen, he's either staying here with us until the end of his career, or he's going to Real Madrid. Joe beautifully, beautifully broke down on the London is Blue podcast again. People, please go out. Listen, you don't need to hear it from me. They're awesome. Don't don't believe me. Listen for yourself. Joe broke it down at Hazard's um the Hazard situation beautifully at that point. Uh, I mean on that podcast where we're at right now. He's either retiring with us or, or I should say playing the peak of his career with us or he's going to move to Real Madrid because you know everybody can see this is his you know could be his last time to ever play with Real Madrid at the peak of his powers. So I I, I don't I don't need to spend too much time there because what we saw out of Callum Hudson Adoy was was uh, like the dude's 17 years old. He's not yeah. a he, he's still growing. He's a teenager in the United States. He he can't drink. He just got his driver's license because you can get a a, a, a permanent driver's license here at at 16, right? You can. I'm asking I'm asking somebody that lives in the UK. When can the <laughs> when can the Americans get their driver's license? I and, think it is yeah. I've seen is, enough American shows at high schools in to know. I think it's around that age yeah. Yeah, sixteen. So he just got his driver's license, and the guy all oh, he plays bigger. He plays older than what he is. I, okay, his assist that he had and the little tech the the technique that he had, or as the kids call it these days, the techers that he had on the assist. Was beautiful, but what sealed it for me is when he fought on the left hand side um, to keep possession of the ball. Where he fought off the the the, the perf defender yeah. to continue the play. That's all I needed to see right there. That little clip right there showed me. It told me everything that I needed about that guy. Other players, I mean, I, again, I I'm a Neymar fan, but I can't defend the guy anymore. Neymar, I I'm I'm confident to say that Neymar would have gone down there. Um, Morata would have gone down there. A 17-year-old kid refused to go down there and took the ball and kept running and continued the play. The same thing we saw from Mbappe in the World Cup. The refusal to go down and to use your athletic ability to look at that guy and say, I will not let you beat me here. I'm better than you and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. That's what I, that's the type of stuff that I like seeing. And I mean, dude, Joe, break it down for me. 
what is his future looking like here at Chelsea? Please, like uh, the reports are coming out that he's going to sign a five-year contract. Uh, that necessarily doesn't mean too much because Zuma signed a five-year contract last year, and we're talking, we're sitting here talking about if he's going to get first team options. But I need to see this guy in the first team. Yeah, and not and not like you know, like hey, you might get first team. No, 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 no. He is Hazard's number two. We can scheme around that, actually covering Hudson Adoy if he needs to be covered, but he needs to be Hazard's number two. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the sort of crucial kind of context of this conversation really is around this. There, there's a crop of youngsters coming through in England right now who who recently won a won a World Cup. They've won the European Championships. They they they're winning absolutely everything internationally, domestically, etc. And a lot of those players um, are coming through at Chelsea. And in Hudson Odoi's case, a lot of his, a lot of his friends, uh, Jaden Sancho and, and Jonathan Panzo and others, are now going abroad incredibly early in their careers to seek first team football. So Sancho broke into the Dortmund team at the end of last season. I think Panzo is, is already sort of looking to make strides into the Monaco team. So you know there is this this kind of new ownership of, of careers for young players. They are taking their destiny essentially within their own hands. They're not content to sit and wait and, and wait and wait and wait for you to then go and sign a 200 million pound player and, and they never play. Yeah. You know, we've seen that with uh, a lot of the kind of slightly older Chelsea crop with your Rubens, you know, buying back a Yoko, buying Drinkwater instead of playing yeah. him. You know, Lewis Bacon not even getting a chance, for example. There are, there are quite a number of players who probably should have been given a chance after loan spells that they've had or just based on their talent who never did because Chelsea went out and bought... Uh, Players, I mean, I think the players we've bought in the past couple of years have not been superstars in most cases. A lot of them, like Drinkwater, have been decidedly average or below average. But because they've got experience there, they, they have a tendency to play more. So I think that the context of Hudson Adoy's career will be, will be kind of seen through this, this kind of prism of, of, of whether Chelsea are going to invest in him, not just financially, but also in terms of giving him opportunities as a player. Because... There are a lot of reports around, and, and, and this this also comes through agents that I speak to, that Hudson Adoy is on the radar of pretty much every major club in Europe. We're talking Madrid, we're talking Barcelona, we're talking all of the German teams. He's a we're special talking, player. Uh, he's a special player. He's, he's an incredibly talented player, incredibly special. You know, there are a lot of comparisons with Kylian Mbappe in terms of his style of play. You know, there are potential that he's possibly quicker than him. He's definitely more physical at, at, at the same age. So I think Mbappe is two years older than him. Yeah. He's definitely more physical than Mbappe at the moment. He's definitely quicker. Um, no, he's don't say that. He's faster than Mbappe. Yeah, he's he's you know he's uh, he's definitely for me he's definitely a quicker player. Um, quicker than, or than faster? Mbappe. That's two different things, Joe. You know that. Yeah. No, I'm I'm talking about with with, with a football. So if you actually see him uh, see him dribble, I mean, there was a goal he scored against Liverpool, I think, Holy for the European last season, where he he basically just ran past about ten players. Oh um, my god. So, I mean, the, the, that, that's sort of the context. And I think, I think Hudson Adoy knows that, that he has the ability to play for Chelsea quite early in his career. So, you know, it's a question of, of does he not sign this contract? And I think he maybe has two years left. So, you know, he can leave basically at 19 or a three and, and essentially have his pick of clubs in Europe to go and play for. Um, or does he do the club sign now and, and entrust him with a position in the squad? And, I mean, I think the, the crucial point will be is, is just how much playing time he has now. It's been it's been fairly obvious, you know, for, for those who 
have been keeping up with the, the clips that have been in social media that Gianfranco Zola has taken quite a shine to, to Hudson Adoy. Um, there are a lot of reports that, that he's been pushing him um, as a potential player that Sari wants to use. A lot of that has come from come from Zola. And I think at half time of the first game, you could see sort of Zola with his arm around Hudson Adoy talking to him about what was going on as they were leaving the pitch. So I think there is there is an investment being made by the club into Hudson Adoy as, as a as a potential player. And I think although I would imagine that his his best position is, is probably playing from the left hand side. So as you're saying, sort of an Eden Hazard understudy that actually I think also that he has the ability because he has so much technique, so much dribbling ability, but the ability to do that at pace. I mean you can you see the 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 sort of little kind of uh, sort of rollback that he did on the on the guy before he he put the cross in. Those sorts of little bits of footwork. Doing them, doing them at the pace and then the acceleration with the left foot to kind of take the touch and then get the cross in. It's not something you, you really see that often, you know, in terms of in terms of players. So I think he'd also be very comfortable to play from the right-hand side. My personal preference, I think actually that he would make an excellent centre-forward at some point in his career, maybe when he, he, he kind of fills into his frame or he's, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's developed to, to sort of being a bit more of a man. He's still, he's still a kid at this point in time. So I think that, that he... He should be looking at Mbappe as, as kind of the blueprint of, of what his career and where his career could be heading. You know, he has he has the pace, he has the finishing, he has incredible technique, he's got great feet. You know, again, I think that the tactical awareness stuff, the the stuff off the ball that, that you're you're kind of expecting your wingers to do now, again, you know, it's it's very, very coachable. It's just a question of, of experience and minutes. So, you know, I, I said this on on sort of social media the other day that I think in terms of the, the, the full package of, of, of a young player that's come for at Chelsea, in terms of, of a skill set that applies to the first team, in terms of the fact that I don't think we have any outstanding players in his position, we're talking about the right wing slot and maybe maybe as a forward, that, that he probably has the best chance of, of anyone that's come for at Chelsea to go straight from the academy, straight into, into the first yeah. team. Um, you know, it's also a question as well, when I speak to to a guy called Grant James on Twitter, who's I think he's a UEFA B coach, and and Seb uh, Seb Shapui, who's also I think just finished his UEFA A license, and and they they often Grant talk James, about how, you said? Yeah, Grant James. I'm gonna add him right Seb. now. If I have, yeah. I don't have him, I'm gonna add him right now. Everybody, get out your phones as we speak. <laughs> Twitter, so, Grant yeah, James. Probably search. I mean, I'm following. If you need to search for him, so him and you've got a guy called Seb. Uh, I think it's Shapui, C H A P U I S. But they're both um, they're both exceptionally uh, talented young coaches. But they often tell me about how it's already slightly easier. Yeah, it's, it's easier for younger players um, who are forwards to make an impression in the first team earlier because of the, the sort of the the mental aspect of the game isn't as as great as say someone trying to play in midfield or centre back or, or a defensive position where a lot of the game is experience based. It's mental. You know, it's a reason why. You know, a lot of the, the young superstar players are forwards, you know, Dembele, yeah. Mbappe, Neymar. I mean, you go through the list of, of young players that have broken out in the past five years. Almost all of them are, are, are forwards or, or yeah. wingers. Or, you know, it's, it's a, the flashy it's a players, the goal scorers. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a slightly more, it's a position that's slightly more based on, I would say, just out-and-out out talent. You know, you can you can be just super, super talented at 17 and be able to play up front. You're not having to to play in midfield and, and have this this entire perception of, of, of off the ball where you need to be positioning wise, tactical wise, what do I do here? That there's there's not such that uh, level of, of complexity involved. I mean don't get me wrong, you know, he still has to understand what's going on, but I think that the level the level of, of 
of, of thought and, and understanding of the game is, is it kind of lessens as you move up the pitch. So, you know, defenders need to be the best at it, and midfielders are obviously have to be very good at it because they, they cover the most space. Forwards, really, it's just about impact and goals and creating and, and, and stuff like that. So a lot of that is just down to talent. So when we factor in that as well, I think Hudson Adoy has an incredibly good chance to to stay around. I mean, there was talks of him potentially going on loan, but I think the more that we see, um, particularly that I think the club are promoting him quite a bit. He's been involved in a lot of the social media stuff. You know, I think so is taking a shine to him. Sorry, looks to have also equally taken quite a big shine to him. But this could be the guy that comes through again. You know, I think he he joined Chelsea at I think eight years old. So you've yeah. got you've got that connection with the club. You know, he's he's a fan. Eden Hazard's his idol. You know, it's it's a, it's an incredible thing. It's a perfect fit. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect storm. And you know, I often talk about lack of opportunities, but sometimes it really just does come come down to luck and situation. You know, if you look at someone like Josh McEachern when he came yep. was sort of coming through at Chelsea like a number of years ago. Under Ancelotti, he was starting to get put into games, starting to earn trust, starting to start, you know, and he actually looked potentially like he could be sort of a deco type player in midfield. But then Ancelotti gets sacked, Andrew Rios Boas comes in, doesn't fancy him, and he goes off to Swansea, and then his career kind of stagnates and, and yep. doesn't necessarily hit the heights that many people would thought. I think with Hudson Adoy, maybe the reverse of that has happened. We now have an attacking manager who who likes, you know, kind of pacey, you know, finishers and, and likes really creative forward-thinking players. He has Gianfranco Zola there, who, for me, it looks like his role is going to be to start pushing some of these younger players into the conversation. Because I think, you know, you, you, we've seen him having a game of two-touch with Charlie Musondo, and we've seen him with his arm around hudson Madoy. He seems to be, you know, sort of looking at nurturing some of the younger players. So so maybe now is, is the perfect storm for someone like hudson Madoy to actually break straight into the Chelsea team. And, and if he plays, let's say, 2,000 minutes next season, you know, I think that would be that would be an ideal situation. You, you never know. I mean, he, if he comes in and starts performing at a really, really high level, he, he could become a starter by the end of the season. But I think if I'm in charge, I'm, I'm definitely keeping him around. I want him to, to work with Eden Hazard as much as possible, pick as much of Eden Hazard's game as, as he can. Yeah. Um, but then equally, I think he, he will develop his own style. He's a lot more direct than Hazard. He has obviously infinitely more pace. He's probably probably more inclined to shoot. He's probably more greedy in that sense, which I think also is something that we need. But if he can pick bits of, yep. of Eden Hazard's game, incorporate it into his own. Um, then again, I mean, you're looking at him. So if by the time Hazard is, say, say Hazard stays and he's 30, 31, then Hudson Adoy is going to be 20. I mean, you're, you're looking at that. That is the air. Uh, that's, that's the perfect. That's the perfect situation. Perfect transition. So. The I perfect. Hope that that's, that's, yeah, I hope that that's how the club is selling it to him. That you know you are you are the future of this position. But we, you know, we want you to play. We want you to stay around. We're going to give you minutes. We're going to play you on the right. We're going to give you games on the left. We're going to play you up front. We're just going to play you and see. Obviously, you know. But as soon as Hazard goes, or you know, I mean, personally, I, I think will Hazard will stay to his peak. I think he'll go back to somewhere like Lille and retire. Yeah. You know, for the next yeah, that's what you had said before. Yeah, that's what I, I personally think that Hazard will do um, eventually. I think so too. And then when when he does, then you've got a ready made you know, ready made replacement who is homegrown, who's been at the Chelsea Academy forever, understands the club, loves the club, and, and potentially then that then that's your number ten. So yeah, yeah, I mean that that would be the other scenario for me. But I mean, but if you look at the whole situation um, from all angles, it benefits everybody. Let's say um, Hazard stays and Hudson Odoi um, signs his contract, and he then now you know becomes the next wave behind. Mbappe 
and now he's 2021. 20, Here comes Real Madrid knocking, and they want to pay 300 million dollars for him. I, you know, as much as I love any of our player, 300 million dollars is 300 million dollars that we can do. You know, we, we can do something with that. Um, it, it, yeah. it, it, you know, let's say he that situation doesn't happen, and he is the heir apparent to Eden Hazard. And we don't have to buy anybody. That's money saved that now we can apply it somewhere else. So the whole situation, can, if if handled correctly, if he is who we envision him to be, can be a win-win for everybody. If he is the next wave behind Mbappe, that's that means that now there's marketing. Now there's, you know, he's a star. He can be, you know, personal, get personal gains, personal endorsements outside of the club. That's It's a win-win for everybody, you know. Um, but man, he is—he is—he's an animal. He—he—he—he—he he, he, he looks so good. Um, on Monday. Hold on a second. Hey, relax. They're always—it wouldn't be an all-American Chelsea podcast without an interruption from the wife, from the dogs, from the kid. It wouldn't be a podcast without it. Um, please, please tell me you clicked and said relax to the to the wife. <laughs> <laughs> No, she, don't whisper stuff. No, 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 no. She's actually, she's actually in the room, um, watching TV. So, um, Joe, listen, I can, I, I can, I, I can be here all day. I have notes on questions to ask you about uh, the academy, the badges, um, just, just how to get, um, scouting badges and coaching badges alone. I could be here for two hours with you, three hours, but the time that you've given me. Is absolutely amazing, Joe. I need to have you back on. You have, Joe. You are so welcome that you can. You're in the United States, wherever you're at. I'll take care of you over there. I'll hook you up <laughs> if I know somebody over there. You come to Thank South you. Florida. I pick you up at the airport. I'll take all the time in the world off. I rent you a car. I Uber whatever you need. You are welcome in my world to no end. Um, appreciate that. Yeah, thanks thank so you, thank you so much for your time. There's one person that I need to shout out. Um, while you're on, um, one of the guys, Kwame, he was the one actually that added the, the when the question was asked, who would you want to see in a podcast, and he mentioned you and he mentioned me. Um, and I wrote back to him, dude, I'm gonna make it happen. Well, Kwame, here we go. I made it happen. Joe made it happen. We made it happen. Thanks to you. Um, Joe, God. Damn it. That was two hours. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, You're welcome anytime, my man. You are family. You come to South Florida. We test out those dancing skills. We will see how good your investment Millie Wap is. And finally, this is the final question. One word. Joe, you're an investment banker. I know what your portfolio looks like. And I'm going to tell everybody Joe texted me his portfolio. He sent it to me on WhatsApp. He didn't send me numbers or anything. He didn't send me a picture of his bank accounts, his portfolio, anything. All he sent me was a picture of Scrooge McDuck diving into his, uh, his into his <laughs> vault of coins. That's all you need to know about how much cash is in Joe's wallet, okay? Joe, we're putting all that money on the line. There's a gun to your head. No, not a gun to your head because that's not going to do it. It's the vault. The vault is on the line. One word answer. Where does Chelsea finish? this season 2018 2019 go oh, i think chelsea finish third or better that's what i'm talking about I, by better do you do you see us 
I, I personally, I have a little superstition, and I'm sure that I'm wrong, but when we finish, or when we pull, uh, uh, wear our yellow kits, that's always champion to me. That that yellow kit is always championship to me. So, yeah, it's no coincidence that we have yellow this year. So, Joe, my God, we're going to be champions. We're going to be champions. And I know you're in Denmark, but come the yeah. final season – Come the final game of the season, and we're, we're going down Fulham Road as champions. Will you be there on Fulham Road? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, not, I've not missed this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm quietly, I quietly think that we'll, we'll push City for the title. Um, I think if we if we get a few more players in, and and sorry gets a hold of his team, I think quietly that that second maybe push them for the title um but well, i don't think very so positive oh yeah or sane yeah the, the the manchester city player Leroy sane sane yes yeah he says that he, that we are the the uh the biggest threat um to the title it, he said it that's Leroy sane and now joe tweedy says it you already know you already know what that means so Everybody, this was an epic interview, an epic sit down with the whole. I, I, I am like, I have notes for days over here. I'm in my three piece suit. I, I, I can't, I can't tell you. Like my brain hurts right now with all the information that we got from Joe. Um, Joe will absolutely come back on. Joe, this was this. Like, uh, I'm not, I, all right. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. It was awesome. That's it. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been it's fun. Been, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So everybody, this is, you know, this is the end of the interview. All right, all right, all right. There you have it. That was the homie Joe Tweedy, the people's champ. Uh, I'm definitely going to start that. Definitely going to get that going from here on out. Anytime Joe Tweedy uh, tweets, it's going to be hashtag the people's champ because Joe is the people's champ because I said so. So he he was awesome. God damn it. Joe was awesome. I'm definitely going to have him on again. Um, one, did you guys notice that at times, maybe you might not notice that much at times, Joe sounded like he was in a professional studio and I was the one that was calling in from a tomato can with a string at the end. And I was the one calling into Joe. And meanwhile, I'm the one over here. This is my podcast that I'm hosting. That's one thing I have a milestones, like goals that I'm hitting with this podcast the next one, the major one, is going to be revamping all of my audio equipment to be able to record, uh, to bring you guys better quality. That's that's the next one. I got to get myself some bomb-ass headphones. So I'm leveling up bit by bit. I'm with you guys. I'm with you. I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to. This podcast will level up. It's leveling up. There's progressions, slowly but surely, up and up and up. So... I really hope you guys enjoyed that podcast because I had an amazing time. I had an amazing time, even though I, you know, I misspoke sometimes here and there, but I had an amazing time with Joe. Um, fuck, that guy is so, he has so much information, man. Like, and we spoke after um, I ended the podcast and, you know, I asked him a few things on uh, on the podcast and just football in general. And you know, he's pointed me in the right direction uh, on a few things. I kind of want to keep it under wraps because there are it's content that I'm going to be bringing to the podcast. But um, man, that guy, he, man, fuck, 
like I can't, I can't, I gotta stop, I gotta stop. Like, dude is. Whew. So, that was the the episode with Joe. I'm gonna be coming back with another episode um, this week. We were supposed to, we're supposed to be playing uh, Nice, if I'm not mistaken. Hold on, let me get the phone out. Well, see, something always happens in this show. I'm telling you. We're supposed to be playing Sevilla. So, I'll have a, a breakdown on that. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing something. I, I was supposed to have another guest on this week, but due to uh, conflict in scheduling, I couldn't have a guest on this week. But next week, I got a few. I got two more guests coming for you. And the following week, I'm going to be setting up. I got it. Like, I've already started sending out DMs and emails to bring you guys guests that I think you're going to want to hear, especially with the season coming up and throughout the season. So stick around. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a blast. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to enjoy it. So this has been the All-American Chelsea Podcast. If you like the episode, please subscribe. Thank you to all. Like, I put out the first two episodes, and I'm going to tell you right now, I had, and I can't believe this. This is, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. So, not including, not including, and this is what I see on Anchor. I don't see it anywhere else. Um, on my, on episode two, 94 listens. On episode one, we had 70 listens. Like, people listened to it 70 times. Well, that could be 69 of them on that episode. Could have been me. And the other uh, 93 listens on the, uh, on the second episode could have been me as well. But to the one person that listened to the podcast, thank you so much. You mean the world to me. If you can please like, uh, subscribe on the various different podcast networks on the platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, they're all there. It's all there. Stitcher, I think it's, yeah, it's on Stitcher, it's on Pocket Cast, it's on a bunch, all the different um, platforms. Like, uh, share, subscribe, leave a review, send me a, a tweet. Tell me things I can improve on. This is our podcast. We grow together. This episode is going to be shit compared to the next episode and the following and the following and the following. We're going to grow together, people. So please give me all the feedback. Um, I'm putting these out for you, for us. So follow me on all the social medias, All American Chelsea, All American CFC. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Snapchat. I have something, but I really don't use Snapchat. It's basically on Facebook. I'm there too. I haven't started Facebook, uh, got the Facebook portion of the social media going, but that'll soon come. Websites coming. Everything's coming. I, like I said, we're leveling up bit by bit by bit. I promise you, I promise you. And before you know it, I'm going to like, I, all right, I'm going to share something with you. I had on the DM, I got hit up by a Mr. Let's, you know what? I'm going to use, I'm going to use, so we don't know who, you know, just to protect the identity of this person. This person hit me up on the DM, believe it or not. Mr. Fromovich, no, last name, 
Haframbravich, first name Froman. Hit me up on Twitter. Believe it or not, I'm protecting the identity. Hit me up and said, dude, heard your podcast. I love it. Keep going. You're the man. You're more than welcome to come into the owner suite any single time. I love your podcast. I'm a big fan. Thanks. No kidding. No kidding. I'm not I'm not gonna protect I'm gonna protect their identity. So no kidding though. Um that's it. That's the end of the episode. I've gone on talking way too long. Uh I love you guys. I love each and every one of you. I absolutely do. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I have more content coming to you guys. Um I'm doing this for us, for you. Uh again. I love you. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your night. Whenever you're listening to this, just have a good time, man. Just have a good time. Um, not to bum anybody out, but I saw somebody that saw somebody today. I was driving home uh, from the office, and I saw somebody that, uh, not to bum you out, but they weren't going to be having any more good times, and their family was about to find out that their loved one won't be making it home. Uh, due to a car accident so that could happen to any one of us man just have a good time have a good time because you never know man i love all of you have a great day later i'm out
Bro, Stevens had us thinking rational. Thinking rational. That's rational. Back to reality, we poor, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Another yeah, bitch. casualty at war, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Two bullets yeah, bitch. in my uncle Tony head. My Tony head. My Tony. He said one day I'll be on tour, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. That Louis yeah, Burgers never be the same. Won't be the same. Won't be. The hey, same. Louis Bell that never eats that pain. Won't eat that pain. Won't eat. But I'ma purchase when that day is jerking. That day is jerking. Pull off at churches with Pirelli skirting. Pirelli skirting. Gang signs out the window, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Hoping yeah, all of them offend you, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. They say yeah, your bitch. hood is a pot of gold. A pot of gold. A pot and of we gon' crash it when nobody's it's home. Holla Barry or Holla Pick your boys and tell me what you do. Everybody go respect the shooter. But the one in front of the gun lives forever. The one in front of the gun On Thanksgiving, my homeboy just domed a nigga. I just hope the Lord forgive him. Pots with cocaine residue. Every day I'm hustling. What else is a thug to do when you eat cheese from the government? Gotta put five for my daughter and them. Get the fuck up out my way, bitch. Got that drum and I got them bands just like a parade, bitch. Drop that work up in the bushes. Hope them boys don't see my stash. If they do tell the truth, this the last time you might see my ass. From the gardens where the grass ain't cut, them serpents lurking blood. Bitches selling pussy, niggas selling drugs. But it's all good Broken promises Still you're watching Tell you what time it is Take your J's And tell you to kick it Where a falaka is In the streets With a heater Under my dungarees Dreams of me Getting shaded Under a money tree Holly Berry Or Holly Pick your boys And tell me What you do Everybody Go respect the shooter But the one In front of the gun Lives forever The one Just to say, money trees is the perfect place for shading. That's just how I feel.